0: Get ready for the thrill of your life. Now, Universal plunges you into a mystery at the speed of sound. Roller coaster. An accident in California. Plus, two accidents in one week. Who's putting the lid on this? The police? A recording from a stranger. Get on the ride, Harry. A drop in Virginia. Harry? Yeah.
1: Remember what happens when you don't follow directions.
0: And a man in the middle on the ride of his life. They're over the lift. It's too late to stop them now. Let's go. Roller coaster. All right. Good for it. All right. So uh, we're here. This is uh, 70 Movies We Saw in the 70s. I'm Mike McPadden. I wrote uh, Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies and, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: I'm Ben Reiser. I didn't write either one of those books, but I did write about 10 pages of notes about today's film. And uh, so, I, you know, maybe I could turn this into a book at some point, like <laughs> the the non oral history, the monograph about roller coaster. Yeah, uh, you know what? I there's, there's this. I think it's a grunge song, and I'm not even sure if these are the right words. But it's been in my head all day thinking about us doing another podcast. Is there a, uh, some kind of
0: grunge song that's like it's been a while? What that's is a that? stained. That's uh, is that that's post grunge. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, the first band I ever saw on the cover of Rolling Stone that I didn't recognize. I, I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> that
1: was a milestone. <laughs>
0: yeah, I came down. <laughs> I came downstairs, like from the in the office I worked in, and uh, there was a newsstand in the lobby. I was like, "Fuck, it's stained." And I'll tell you, the first the first musical guest on SNL I never recognized was uh, Florence and the Machine. Oh, uh huh. and I fucking love them. I, I love Florence, but. Uh, are, are and they a lot still of it is based on that performance. What's that? Are they still in there? The flow's still going. Flow's still out there. Well, that's funny. I'll that show you Rachel. At... Rachel got me a very special present. Like she was kind of sarcastic. I was genuinely moved. This is Lana Del Rey's new book of poetry. Oh wow. Violet oh. bent backwards. Violet bent backwards over the grass.
1: Wow. So, that's hot. Have you yes. have
0: you cracked it open yet? Yeah, yeah, it's it's great that's great i'm i'm a big I'm a big fan of a of i like
1: i like that album, her albums i'm yeah. I'm obsessed with this Phoebe Bridgers these days, which is uh oh yeah she's a more yeah she's a more i I can't stand that dude that she hangs out with that Connor Oberst that bright eyes motherfucker. oh God,
0: yeah. oh. you know there was a gaze in the military uh poster i made <laughs> this is something we don't i haven't talked about because and I'm so glad like I didn't keep these. Like, the way we got known was I created the most insanely obnoxious and offensive post. It's, like, right before Facebook. So yeah. these things could be relegated to the dustbin of me not being canceled. But one of them was just a picture of Connor Oberst, and there was just a fucking rifle behind his head, and the caption was, Turn around, bright eyes. <laughs> nice.
1: Nice. Remember we had yeah. a Kill kill Richard Marks
0: uh I, yeah, you did. I was like, "What the fuck? You give a shit about Richard Marx?" Yeah, I've not, well, not understood that. Like Connor Oberst is genuinely infuriating because people was, think he's cool. And I know, good. but this was pre-Connor
1: Oberst. There, there was there wasn't yeah. that kind of jerk off to make fun of back in those days. I don't think.
0: Yeah, it's fucking Sonic Youth, and I mean, so many. You're right. We 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 were punching down and being <laughs> stupid. And, you're right. It was dumb. Every time I, I mean, see I'll it say this. this yeah I'll say this: Richard Marx is terrible, I, and I like shitty pop music. And that was it was that, and he was good on the Gilbert podcast. But it's like I can't yeah. even pretend to enjoy that. Right? I would leave like a Bruce Hornsby And the Range song on before I'd leave a Richard Marx song on.
1: Yeah, I would too. Uh, wait, is that the what what, what what is that? That Bruce Hornsby? Is that that? That's just the way it is. That is that. Yeah, that song? Yeah,
0: okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen
1: to the mandolin rain, the valley road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started (laughs) doing all this shit with the Grateful Dead, which was. Yeah, he
0: just. Yeah. And I remember Jerry Garcia expressed annoyance once. He was like, I guess he's in the band now. (laughs) Because <laughs> it was one thing when he was showing up and he had, like, number one albums. They're like, yeah, come on, sit down. And then, like, ten years later, he's still, like, coming in and sitting down with them.
1: Yeah, I had that problem when suddenly when the replacements were doing this reunion tour and Billy Joe Armstrong right. started showing up and getting on stage. And I'm like, dude, who asked you to be in this fucking band, you asshole?
0: Well, I mean, he's, <laughs> but he's like, he sold a billion fucking records. I mean, it's not like Bruce Hornsby.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah, well, right, and then who does it now? That jerk off John Mayer is always hanging out with the Grateful Dead, right?
0: Oh yeah, I think he. I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) haven't kept up. (laughs) I know people only they only say good things about John Mayer. People who have met him. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Including Mr. Aaron Lee had a couple of very nice evenings uh, in the company of John Mayer.
1: I just hate his whole vibe. His music. His
0: his stupid jerk off guitar playing.
1: yeah. Are you uh I I don't even know. Are you a Prince fan? Were you a Prince fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just they just released this thing on YouTube that's like um like a live like a complete live show from from Paisley Park, whatever that is, you know, that it's uh, his, his compound, yeah, his compound. You know, like New Year's Eve 1987. I guess it's during his Sign of the because they they just released like a a million CD right, version that, of yeah. Sign of the Times. Yeah. And this thing, it's incredible. Because the Sign of the Times movie, the concert movie, is fine, but yeah. you always get the sense that it was like sweetened post-production and that he sure redid yeah. those vocals. Because no matter where the microphone is, like you're always yeah. hearing him perfectly. But this thing is raw and it's like just two hours and twelve minutes, like a straight concert, and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. That's like, fantastic. The thing about Prince, I always loved Prince, but I never got to see what everyone talked about with him being the most amazing live performer. You know, I'd see it in movies, obviously Purple Rain and also Sign of the Times. But the one time I actually saw him in person live was at Madison Square Garden on the Love Sexy Tour. And I was all the way up in the nosebleed seats. And at that point, he was doing more like medleys than actual full songs. And that would drive me crazy. Yeah, but this watching this the other day, I was finally like, "Oh, now I now I really am seeing like Prince at the height of his powers, and he was just the best. He was insanely That's good fantastic. at everything he yeah. did."
0: Yeah. It
1: reminded me of you telling that story, which you've done twice now. <laughs> <About> the James <laughs> about Gang, the James yeah. Gang.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I only did it twice because they were in the fucking movie. We were in Zachariah. I couldn't believe it. Fantastic. Well, we're talking about roller coaster in theory. Yeah. From 1977. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, I watched this—I saw it on NBC, whatever that was, 80, 19, probably 79 or so, and I uh, really enjoyed it, and then I uh, I enjoyed it this time, but coming off of Two-Minute Warning, it's a little tough to—it's a little tough to come back once you've been to the Two-Minute Warning. And, well,
1: town. and Juggernaut, which I was actually— jug- that, Well, that's the other thing, and Juggernaut, yeah. I realize— uh, and one of the things I wrote was that in a, in, a, in an incredibly informal and unofficial way, it feels like these three films are like this trilogy sure. of 70s disaster movie adjacent films. Like n- None right. of those movies are actually disaster movies, but they all came out in and around all these other legit disaster movies. And they all sort of feed off of that a little bit and then sort of play with... Going their own way. I mean, especially this one and Juggernaut are both really mad bomber movies.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Which I suppose the original Airport is as well. Amongst a bunch of other stuff. It's like it's like the bomb in that is sort of like an afterthought.
1: But that's the thing. But Airport, well, Airport, right, is really like not, yeah, not much of a thriller for a lot of it. But it's got that, is it, uh, isn't it, is it Van Heflin? Is that who it is? Who's the... I think so. I think that that sounds right. I can't. Remember. He, but but that is what
0: happens. He's
1: got a bomb
0: and he yeah. blows up but the if, thing. But if, I remember it, and God, I have not seen that since I was a little kid, and I watched it with my grandmother. Yeah, and I remember it felt like it was three quarters through the movie, and it was something like, yes. oh, some guy has a bomb yeah. after all of this. Yeah. But what
1: now? I, I'm maybe you remember I, the the plots of Airport 75, 77, and Concord. Are any of those Bomb related, or uh, what happens to the planes? One of them is underwater. Yeah, I have
0: no idea. <laughs> <I don't> no, <know. laughs> I've seen all of them, and I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, this one is very much. I mean, I'll skip. To, I can skip to this to this other thing that I was thinking. I mean, it's very much a middle of the road thriller i mean there's nothing there's nothing particularly cinema i mean there are there are some very nice cinematic flourishes and moments there's some i think some beautiful shots uh first person shots on the roller coaster right great location shots lots of but but at times it feels like just like a good
0: 70s tv movie and it's very much in its yeah, direction like this, this would have been a the, complete kick-ass tv movie yeah
1: And, you know, and I do think it transcends it every now and again. But what I was really thinking um, and what my main sort of dissertation at the end of my thought process on this whole thing is that, you know, this really is just a very middle of the road sort of square um, uh, movie written by those guys, Levinson and Link. Is that their names? Uh, who, yeah. who, who who created Columbo So it's Columbo, got that right. It's got that feel It's got that like NBC mystery right. movie Universal right. Studios uh, Sort of vibe to it But I would take You know And I'm, I was trying to compare it maybe to Duel And, and think which one of these right. was a TV movie that was I mean Duel really was a TV movie right. But I'm trying to think Is Duel more cinematic than Roller Coaster and is roller coaster less cinematic and more of a TV? I don't really know the answer to that, but I would take either one of them over what then happened to these kinds of thrillers in the eighties and definitely in the nineties and the two thousands. I there's a competence about this movie sure. and like a professionalism and a sort of a thoughtfulness to the performances and the casting and the writing. It, In much the way, and I also, I happened to listen to our Capricorn One episode last night when I was going to bed. Um, And a lot of the things that we say about that, I think, are true about this movie, too. Like, especially, you know, every single role in this movie has been sort of well cast so that you get like, um, what's his name? Gutenberg shows up. Right, right. Uh, in a bit. That was role. a surprise. Ha- yeah. Helen Hunt is here in a li- there's all right. these pe- and, and Craig Watson shows up at the end as like a as a hippie on the thing. You Craig know. Watson
0: who's also in uh Two Minute Warning as the hat salesman. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Isn't that crazy? So yeah. And um, this is a hat aspect in it too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. And there's and none of those roles would have been cast with real actors if this movie was made any time in the last twenty years. You know, and, that's very true. And, it, yeah. and 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 it's almost like a you don't. It's like a it's like a subliminal thing that um, that those scenes work better because they've taken the time to really hire people with talent to fill these very small roles like Steve Gutenberg arrives, drops off the blueprints to the thing and leaves. But something in that exchange with the other guys in that room makes that scene better than it would have been if they shot that thing 10 years ago with just some kid that they grabbed from the amusement park and said, hey, put this right. jacket on and carry this thing, which is how they would have done it. But I was thinking, you know, uh, we we talked about Blown Away, the Jeff Bridges movie yeah. with Tommy Lee Jones when we were talking about Juggernaut. Mike and I recently guested it on a show that may not be out yet, but will be soon. Uh, customers also watched where we talked about the 1974 uh, Dick Lester uh, bomb on an on a ocean liner movie Juggernaut.
0: And, Which um, was great, by the way. The movie yeah. was great and being on the show was great. So thank yes. you. Customers will also watch.
1: Yes, Erica, thank you, Erica. Um, but right. I mean, I'll t- I would take ten roller coasters over one. Blown away, oh. or uh, no?
0: No. Oh yeah, fuck oh, yeah! I thought no, you were saying. I was, it was going to. Like, yeah. No, that was I was thinking because I saw Blown Away in the fucking theater, mm-hmm. and it was just like you know it was after those fucking after Independence Day which well that was before that actually but it's like that. Mid nineties, like the this was the end. The movies were over. I yeah. guess it was just. There's I a, guess it's Jurassic Park because then it just became. Let's just focus on these fucking shitball CGI effects. Well, that's, rather than a movie,
1: that's true. But even the movies that weren't relying as much on CGI effects and were keeping things uh, dinosaur free and superhero free, they there was like a there was an over the top. And sloppiness about them Like you know where there was no Discipline it was just The plot points were so stupid And so campy That, you know, that you just never, you you know, you sort of enjoyed them, but in a much dumber way. I'm thinking of Blown Away. I'm thinking of that movie Copycat with Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver. uh, uh, Who
0: was the killer? Harry Harry, Connick Jr. Harry Connick Jr. is
1: the killer. It's just so fucking dumb. And also mean-spirited. That movie is so
0: nasty. It it was very nasty. It, It unnerved me a bit, that movie. And it was like such a shitty nonsense movie. Yes. And now, so uh, it's a guy who's copying real life serial killers. Mm-hmm. And that was probably after seven. So it's like, and yeah. to me, seven is fucking amazing. I love yeah. Seven. Seven, um, seven yes. fucking shattered me when I first yes, saw it.
1: Absolutely. And now I watch it and it's not shattering anymore, but I just right. watch it. And I'm like, this is such brilliant filmmaking. It's unbelievable. It kills yeah. me every single time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right. I remember this one scene in Copycat where I guess it's Harry. But I don't even know if it's Harry. Because he's not the only killer in this, right? He was
0: in jail. I think he was like the Hannibal Lecter who was like kind of a wise ass wearing like a god bless america baseball cap and yeah. stuff
1: but there's this other guy who's doing some killing and he's while wa- he's married he's walking through his house and yeah. you follow him and he arrives in like a basement opens up this room and he's got some woman there who he's got a plastic bag wrapped around yeah. yeah her head and she can barely breathe and he's injecting windex into her arm and yeah. it's just like i don't get me out of here man <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I, yeah. When that shit goes bad, especially because it's like so shittily handled by mainstream Hollywood. Yes,
1: yeah, right. It doesn't. And that was, you know, again
0: there. the fucking nineties nihilism thing. Like Aaron and I will talk about this forever off the air, we, but you know, people forget. Like we're now, we live now in like the complete funhouse mirror opposite of what nineties mainstream culture was like. Coming up from the 90s underground, which was, you know, zines and, like, noise rock and, you know, which then, like, to me, the real hardcore shit underground stuff from the late 80s, early 90s came up through uh, the the underground into the mainstream by way of, like, Family Guy and South Park. And then, like, the fact that, like, the people versus Larry Flint would be so wildly acclaimed and... American beauty And if you weren't On board for this guy Like wanting to fuck This 15 year old girl Next door <laughs> With some kind of Fucking uh, stuffed shirt And oh, yeah. um It was a wild Fucking time Like I remember There was an Entertainment Oh cause I was Pitching a book Called like oh, It was called Gross out The 101 most Disgusting films Of all time Oh And I want that um book. This was yeah. in the Late 90s yeah. I ended up writing That article for About 10 different Magazines right. <laughs> But uh and there was an entertainment weekly cover that had like Cameron Diaz from there's something about Mary and you think about it, I remember John Waters saying like anything is possible now after that sperm in the hair thing in this rom-com that like you know old li- my mother went and fell out of her seat laughing at that yeah um but it, so it, it, the cover story was like how, how like how far is too far and the whole so it's like South Park and something about Mary and uh, Marilyn Mansor or whatever and but the whole article is written in this careful eggshells tone like I we don't want to say this it's uncool. It's just maybe somebody somewhere is wondering about this. But we don't like them. They're the religious right. They're bogus and um, you know part of me being so ensconced in that first off you know I'm mad that you know fucking natural born killers exist because it's like that was our shit. That was our bullshit that we did. With our fucking Xerox machines and our fucking you know eight track noise recordings, and um, and I'm not being paid by Hollywood for it more than anything, uh, so there, there was part. But then there was also part of like the underground. There's always this weird morality to it. Like we know this is fucked up, and it's sort of a reflection of what's wrong in the world,
1: right? But you, you look at Last House on the Left, and you, right. you 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 get that you get that moral sense. I mean, it's 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 horrible. What goes on with those two women in the first half of that movie is so uh, shattering, but you know, it's meant to be, and that that, that the filmmakers are somehow tapping into it in a, in a deliberate way. Whereas these fuckers like Oliver Stone, I never got the impression that he had any
0: skin in the game.
1: No, no. It's just like, I'm just doing bullshit for the sake
0: of doing bullshit. I, got this. I have enough money to, to make this kind of, you know, crazily avant-garde Hollywood movie, but have, I have to filter. Because it's 1994, we have to filter it through serial killer chic and mm-hmm. complete, like, you know, cheap, uh, as Jimmy McDonough says, Walmart nihilism. Yeah, and right.
1: Uh, Walmart nihilism. I like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but I'll take. so. And I'll that's f- why I mentioned Seven, by the way, in terms of copycat. It's like Seven is a legitimately horrifying horror film and then copycat is like look what we can get away with because this is the time this is the place ooh bad right. people right
1: you know but 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 seriously like this you know roller coaster in the in the context of the 70s is no you know nothing more than like a middle of the road thriller but right but, you know, it's it, in so many ways, it's as good or better than what people think of as, like, the best thrillers of the 80s and the 90s and then the 2000s. You know, every once in a while, you'd get something great, in my opinion, like In the Line of Fire. But sure. more often, you'd get every other movie that that stupid Das Boot guy made, which were the worst fucking dumb, terribly plotted, over-the-top thrillers. There were, I can't remember what his other—I think he made some movie— Fuck, I, I don't remember. remember. Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang he, Peterson is his name. Something yeah. having to do with a lighthouse and um, uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Alec Baldwin's wife. Kim Basinger might be in it. Um, oh, that final analysis? Oh, Richard maybe. Keir? Maybe. Richard, that's that has one like of a, them. A kind of Erzatz Hitchcock thing. Yes, all these Erzatz yeah. Hitchcock things. Um, you know, and I think that the last sort of—I was trying to think what were the last B movie thrillers that I thought were like competent and and pleasurable, and I, all I could think of was like that movie Cellular, <laughs> and um, I never saw. Oh, it's great, and uh, directed by the guy who went on to direct um, Snakes on a Plane, which is not great, but uh, that was right, his Larry long. Cohen. Right, and Larry Cohen wrote the script, and then right. Running Scared with Paul Walker from the Fast and yeah. Furious yeah, thing. I That's like a that fun. Yeah. But I can't. But you know, these movies come out now, and people go crazy over them because they're like, oh, these like sort of B movies that slipped under the radar, but they're really pretty good. They're garbage, like the Halle yeah. Berry, uh, you know, driving a stolen car or chasing after like her daughter gets kidnapped, whatever that fucking movie is. Oh, I can't, <laughs> Bruce see, I Willis makes it, like yet. twelve of them a year.
0: They're just so shitty. And they look so how fucking weird. Cheap. Do you ever look at like the amount of movies Bruce Willis puts out? Yeah. It's fucking wild. I know this guy, David J. Moore, uh, who actually contributed to his one of his action movies books. Um he lives in LA and up until, you know, the pandemic, he was going he would see every one of those Bruce Willis movies. He saw every movie in a the theater. And because they theatrically just booked them for like six days in LA to get a theater. there's some, you know. They can then sell it as a theatrical release. Yeah. But him, Nicolas Cage, it's its wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. John Cusack. Yeah. These guys just keep crying, tons of them. cranking yeah. them out. Well, anyway, I'm here to sing the praises of Roller Coaster, and that's fine. You can tamp me down as we go through it. Yeah. No, um, I, I enjoyed it. I certainly had a good time watching. Um, uh First of all, I saw this in a theater, and I'm pretty sure I saw it with my dad, and I know that we saw it in Sense Around. And then I t- tried to today take a look and figure out how many movies ever were released in Sense Around, and it's possible. It's a tough thing. It's possible it's
0: tough thing that thing to there determine. were only like four of them? Except, okay, so I did a little research, because I remember longer lists than this, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find shit. Yeah. I found Earthquake Midway, Battlestar Galactica. And roller coaster. And roller coaster. Yeah. But, okay, this is really fucking wild. And I looked it up and I have the ad, which we'll post. Fucking Zoot Suit, the Edward James Almost <laughs> movie. That was released in Censor Around 3.0 in 1981. Hmm. And uh, in LA, and it played at the uh, Cinerama Dome with the big Censor Around thing hanging from the rafters there. Uh, and somebody else said Krakatoa east of Java. From 1968 was reissued in Europe oh. as Volcano. Oh, okay. In Cents Around. Okay. Well, I
1: saw three out of four of these official list of Cents Around movies in theaters, and I believe in sense wow. Around. Although, I don't ever remember. I think
0: remember. King's Plaza had Around I, I, I had
1: that the I think that the college or the Nostrand, not the Nostrand, but I think the college might the have. The college? Had. They were like, shh, they were run down men. I, I know. Like I, I know. Rickety. Maybe the Kingsway. I have to check the, it. I have to look. Yeah, you, you gotta check it out. Well, I we, have the ads. Yeah, yeah, later on today we'll we'll I'll pull up the um, i yeah. pull up the roller coaster ad and see where it was yeah. actually indicated that it was
0: incense around. Um, but did you, you did you see any of those in a theater? Never, oh, not okay. one. And I was furious. I watched Earthquake on TV. With they said it was going to be incense around on the radio. And whatever <laughs> channel it was it was it was WYNY because they were owned by NBC. uh-huh But it was awesome. It was a stereo simulcast and I had headphones on, so it was fucking great. Yeah. I used to love when they did that. Remember they did that with Friday night videos.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I do now that you mentioned that. That's that's that's
0: hilarious. And, uh two thousand one was on WQXR in uh, simulcasted. I, I that was the best. Uh But yeah, it was not incense around. But no, I never, no, I never saw any of them. I was deprived yeah and uh Midway, so you saw Midway
1: no, I saw them i saw oh. I saw Earthquake, roller coaster, and Battlestar Galactica in wow. theaters, and as far as I know, in Sense around, although I have to say I don't remember ever sort of being in a the theater and coming out of the theater and going, Wow, that's sense around like it didn't it didn't seem like it was really much of anything Just <laughs> right. sort of like more rumbly
0: than usual. I just suppose. speakers in the back as far as I can tell, yeah
1: yeah, you know, and especially now. In this age of um, uh, subwoofers, you know, not, you know, which, which blow sense around, like the smallest subwoofer that I have hooked up to my computer now, when right. I listen to music, right. is more is more sense around than sense around ever was. But uh, you know, it was a thing; it was a gimmick. Have you ever seen Midway? Um, it's, it's possible. It's very bizarre. It's possible that I that I walked in and saw is is um who's 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 in Midway? I think it's Everybody, Chuck right? has th- yeah, oh Chuck
0: yeah. Heston, I think so. Gregory... I, always, I never saw all of it. I saw some of it on TV, and it's really hmm. weird because they have they cut in actual footage of the Battle of uh, Midway, like colorized, like proto colorized footage. It's very dis- disconcerting.
1: Midway '76. And uh, we want to see is Gregory Peck in it? Or am well, I might uh, thinking of McCarthy? I might be thinking of McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Boy, it doesn't even say who directed Midway. Two hours and 11 minutes. Yeah. Heston and and Henry Fonda.
0: Wow. Hank was working a um, lot.
1: Directed by Henry's. Jack Smite. Oh, right. Music by John Williams. Oh. Glenn Ford was in it. Hal Holbrook was in it. I don't think I've ever seen any of it. Oh no, I have because Toshiro Mifune's in it, and I do That's remember right. that. Yeah. I remember it being a big deal that he was in it and he was yeah. doing the Japanese side of things. And yeah, yeah. What were those two movies that Clint Eastwood made that told the same story from the different?
0: Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. All right. Did you see either of those? No, I did not. I saw Flags of. I,
1: I think I saw Flags of Our Fathers. I didn't see letters from you, Jim, but that sounded actually like the more interesting one. So Yeah,
0: for sure. Oh. So do you go on roller coasters? This is oh, a note I made.
1: That's a, that's a note I made for you, too.
0: Are you yeah, a good. roller coaster yeah. guy? <laughs> I was as
1: a kid. Yes. Um, I totally OD'd on, in my later years, like when I moved out here... I had this I was friends with this guy his name is Tim I won't say his last name cuz god knows what's going on with him these days but it, at some point he um got hit with that uh with some kind of life threatening thing that almost killed him. And then as he was, I forget what it's Oh, meningitis. He had like bacterial meningitis or something. Right. And they thought he was dead for sure. And they thought they were going to have to amputate all his limbs. In the end, they didn't amputate anything, but he did have like nerve damage for a while in his feet. So it was hard for him to walk any great distances. Um, and he found out that if you go to great America, that's the one out here in the Midwest, right? In right. Chicago. Yeah. In, in in Illinois. That in, you go uh, to, if you yeah. if you go to Great America with a wheelchair or you can rent a wheelchair for them and you have like a doctor's note showing that you need a wheelchair, you can get to the front of every single line. Right. right. So Tim and I were like he had this doctor's note, so we went to Great America one day and didn't have to wait in any lines. But by halfway through the day it was such overkill and I was like, I can never
0: go on another fucking ride again, I'm gonna throw up. Did you go on that fucking Superman roller coaster? Mm-hmm. Yep. I went on that. And Sir Lord Brian Puberty, who we talked about earlier, he turns to me before I even got started, he goes, Hey man, I, I didn't know it was Superman. We lived in constant pain, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went, um, now interestingly, one of the one of the amusement parks in this movie is King's Dominion. There's yes. a, and Kings is like a whole chain of... It's almost like the Great, yeah. America, like Great America chain, but it's, it's own thing. There's a yeah. Kings... I think it's Kings Island in Ohio. In Cincinnati. Yes. Yes. And I went there with my cousins, probably either in the late 70s or early 80s, and there was a roller coaster called The Beast. And I actually right. I actually got a t-shirt that's one of those... Like, like, one had like puffy decals, you know, it was all like 3D, like relief, like a relief oh, yeah. map on your shirt of The Beast. Um, And it was a wooden roller coaster. And it was, I think it was a wooden roller coaster, but it was so painful. It smashed you around so hard. It was so rickety
0: that I really almost broke my kneecap on that thing. And that also turned me off to roller coasters for a while. So, yeah, King's Island is where the Brady Bunch goes Mm -hmm. toward the end of the show. That is an episode of the Brady Bunch I remember seeing in first run prime time. And uh, for whatever reason, they win a trip to King's Island. And uh, my father made the hilarious joke. Oh, what? he's like, what's this contest? Second prize is a week in Cincinnati. First prize is one day in Cincinnati. Right. Yes. <laughs> Stayed with me all these years. But um, I went on the Great American Revolution in uh, Magic Mountain. Ah. That is getting blown up in this movie, or almost. It beat the shit out of me. Like, I mean, it was like having hammers just... It was like just walking through a room full of hammers coming down on you. Yeah. But being shaken the whole time. Yeah. Like in a house that's on during an earthquake. Yeah. But the last time... But no, I always... I went on every scary ride, the most insane things. I still, when we go to water parks, I always go to the scariest slide first. But in terms of roller coasters, I guess 10 years or maybe a little more, We uh, Rachel and I went to Coney Island. We got on the Cyclone. And I will say... At that point, without exaggerating, I had been on the Cyclone 50 times. Mm -hmm. Now, a great many number of those was in the 90s while I was drunk. Mm -hmm. But I got on this. It was the most fucking terrifying near-death experience I've ever barely survived. And I was like, that's it. I'm out. I do no more fucking shaking rides or upside down or nothing. So that was the name of that tune
1: my uh my friend Mike Lustig who's going to be on the show with us later this month to talk about Woodstock with us boy that'll be an episode He <laughs> is um i you know i don't know if he's a roller coaster obsessive in general but Certainly has been obsessed with the cyclone for most of his life. Right. He even got married one time on the cyclone.
0: So did my friend Lynn von
1: Schlichting. Yeah. No, oh, but I don't, that wasn't who he married this time. But no, but, but no, no. She married Larry Edmonds. No, Larry. I can't think his name anyway. And he's got a tattoo. He's. A, it's funny that 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 you guys are my Mike friends, and you and you both have yeah. these w- weird um, similarities. He's got he's got a, not not nearly as many tattoos as you. And congratulations on your latest Lord love of death. Thank you. How is that feeling? Is that painful today?
0: No, that was was an easy one. That's the easiest place to get tattooed, your upper arm. I'm amazed that you left that spot bare until now. I, I just I don't quite see it when I look at myself. So right. that's how I found it. Right, so. right.
1: <laughs> um, But he's got some tattoos, including a Robotron twenty forty nine, whatever the fuck the name of that. That thing fucking is. spinning shit. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, no, 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 no. Thank Robot, you. No Robotron, which is a it's oh, a, a, a video, it's a video game. game. Yeah. Right, right, right. I remember. And that. And he and my other friend Dave Snyder used to be a, used to play that thing all the time, and they both got matching. Tramp stamp, lower back, robot oh, tattoos. Funny. But he's got a tattoo. I think, I can't remember if he has an actual cyclone tattoo anywhere, but he does have a tattoo on his shin of that other, that like parachute drop thing from Coney Island. Yeah. What's that yeah. called?
0: Parachute jump. Oh, yeah. That's a great tattoo, man. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. But it hurts like a fuck to get it though. Jesus Christ, on your shin, all those little lines. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, so um yeah, so I was um I, I really I found myself impressed by and enjoying the roller coaster footage in this movie.
0: Sure. Especially
1: yeah. there's a couple times where it's like the you you are the person on in the roller coaster. The, in the front
0: seat, yeah.
1: And then a couple times it's somehow I don't really know how they do this. They sort of fly it seems like if the camera flies out of the roller coaster car and just sort of Goes through the air. I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I but wondered it's that. Great. Did
0: they have some kind of weird crane or something? I don't know. I don't know. No. There's a lot of really great location footage. I loved the, all the amusement park location stuff. Was great. The music, just the like the sideshow music, was awesome. Well, yeah. The balloons is a beautiful that beautiful shot of the balloons being released. Right.
1: The fountains. I think the fountains, also fountains Old really when
0: they kick up and that song. really built the tension. Those fountains making those noises. Yeah
1: the the toadstool telephone booth and all that, that was other amazingly goofy stuff. Great, yeah, there's that great lion's head trash can that Timothy Bottoms throws some cotton candy. He into wastes it his over. cotton candy,
0: yeah. and then later he tells the, the lady at the airport, "I like your cotton candy." Right. I was like, "How would you know?" Right. He exactly. It the fucking lion's mouth. Yeah.
1: Um, but I'm glad you brought up the music because this mu- this movie plays this game with music that I, I've never noticed quite this intensive a game being played in other movies but i know i've talked about it every once in a while on this podcast where we talk about the difference between uh diegetic music and non diegetic right and i always get confused which is which but i think diegetic is like music that is sort of in the scene,
0: like somebody's playing occurring a song from a radio, radio yeah. or just playing at an amusement, the, the, the Calliope at an amusement park. Yeah,
1: and then non diegetic is like just a musical score, like John Williams right. playing that Star Wars shit and whatever. Right. This movie. I deliberately blurs those lines all the fucking time so that the movie starts with, we meet Timothy bottoms. Who's the mad bomber. Who's not that mad, but he's a bomber. And I was really, it was funny to me to look at the end credits. Finally, when I watch it today and, and I wanted to write down what, what they, how they describe his character and his character is called young man, young man, (laughs) such a weird, um, designation. I gotta say the
0: credits, Really look like Columbo Yeah Like identical it feels like Columbo The music sounds like Columbo mm-hmm. The list of names that come up Could be a Columbo episode mm-hmm. Yeah Absolutely So it's in the Columbo-verse I believe This well, story
1: And this was produced by Jennings Lang And I have to tell you Until this week I have always Always Anytime I've seen that name Assumed that this was two people Like it was like a Producing right. team Jennings and Lang like, who the fuck right. is named Jennings Lang? What kind of name is that? That's a person. That's one person's <laughs> name. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Crazy. See? You didn't even know. Yeah. Right. No, I would have thought it was, yeah, you know. And Jennings Hannibal Lang. Bear. Jennings Lang, right. by the way, uh, here, I pulled up his credits. It's a, it's a he. I, see, I who said Hannah Barbera, but he, then right? again, yeah. Hannah Barbera could be somebody's name. That's right
0: not jennings <laughs>
1: right well yeah. that's exactly right now hannah and Barbara are two different people right, right? right. and so that's yeah. exactly William probably hannah, why Barbera. i thought yeah. jennings lang was two people because it sounds the same to me right so jennings lang produced an amazing amount of really fun movies uh the beguiled they might be giants play misty for me slaughterhouse wow. five high plains drifter charlie varick Breezy, Airport 75, Earthquake, The Front Page, 1974, Swashbuckler, Airport 77, Roller Coaster, House Calls, Concord Airport 79, House Calls TV series, The Nude Bomb from 1980. Oh, I
0: saw that recently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Little Miss Marker. uh, Saw that
0: recently. Really loved it, too. Really loved it. The Sting 2. We're well, going to be stick. covering that on our, on, oh yeah, Stick, <laughs> yeah. the Elmore Leonard movie with uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, right? yeah. So that's Jennings' line. That's something. that makes. Okay, so now, is Quinn Martin one person? The Quinn Martin production? I think, I always
1: thought Quinn Martin was one person. Did you not think yeah, that Quinn now Martin I don't was know. one person? No, I, I
0: don't know. I guess I always thought it was two people. Oh, really? Okay, good. I'm glad yeah. I'm not the only
1: crazy person who,
0: who didn't understand. Because you know, look, I'm, I mean, I'm fucking Irish. I know a lot of quints Right, right. So.
1: Oh, but so so. getting back to this music, to this diegetic right. versus non-diegetic. So the movie starts with Timothy Bottoms, and he's on this fishing pier, and it looks like he's going fishing, but he's really sort of scoping out uh, this roller coaster that he's about to plant a bomb on. And he's got uh, a tackle box full of like surveillance equipment. Right. But he's also got this great old-school cassette recorder, uh, a big, big box, like the original boom box. And he's got some classical music on a cassette. And he presses play, and his classical music plays. But somehow, 10 seconds into that, you forget that that's where this classical music is coming from. And it really feels like, oh, this yeah. is the soundtrack score to the movie. So there's this classical music coming out of this cassette player that sort of morphs its way into just sort of being the film's score. But then it cuts to the actual amusement park and you get this carnival music. That you don't see a direct source for. And this happens throughout the movie where there's this carnival music, including something that I like to call the roller coaster theme, which plays over the end credits and actually reminds me a lot of the music from Boardwalk, which also sort of plays over the (laughs) end credits. It's got that same vibe to it. But you're never sure, or at least I wasn't throughout the movie, are we hearing music that's supposedly being pumped through the amusement parks? Or is it just sort of, is this the soundtrack to the film and it's just sort of setting the tone? I don't know the answer, but they keep fucking around with us like that all the time.
0: I don't know either. And then you think about it, like, how often do you hear that music at, a, at an amusement right, park? Right, I don't think you do. But maybe you do. I mean, at maybe Disney, they pumped that in the stupid... 70s.
1: In Disney World, they were always pumping some kind of dog shit like Disney tunes, right?
0: Right. I don't know. And I've been to that place a bunch um, in California. Uh, But, you know, I I spent my summers on the Jersey Shore across the street from an amusement park. I was always going to other ones. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that music was part of the experience. But I don't know that I ever actually heard it anywhere. (laughs) Because they just played rock music. Right, it was just like they just had whatever you know it was like right it's kind of you know, like Steve when you Miller to a, band and uh you know whatever was popular at the
1: time it's kind of like if you ever go to like a beach resort or a hotel yeah. out of the country yeah. or something and there's some they always hire some asshole dj to like play music all day by the pool and they're right, playing right. you know they're playing like fucking hits and rock music and stuff right. and it's like dude i just
0: want to chill out i don't really want
1: yeah. to listen to Julio Iglesias <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say this: In long. the
0: summer of 1978, so the Himalaya ride was uh, my my grandmother's house. Like faced the back porch, faced the amusement park, the Keensburg amusement park. The Himalaya ride was the first ride when you get there, and that was everywhere you go. That's the famous rock and roll ride. So they were playing Grease "Kiss," "Bad Out of Hell," like this was all all we listened to that whole summer, and because and it was just constantly on. And she tried to sue the amusement park. This is my very beloved grandmother. And she said in court, my grandson is very disappointed with me. It was in the newspaper. The case actually got to court? Uh, No. I don't know that she got to court. But she was threatening it. And no, it it didn't become a lawsuit. But she was taking up a petition. And it was in the local newspaper. It was was in like the Asbury Park Press, I believe. So we had that clip. And my grandson will be very disappointed. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but I think
0: about that now. Like think about, I mean, it was the same as having a radio on in your like in the room you're in.
1: Yeah.
0: I think about now if it was playing like fucking I don't know, Takeshi Six Nine or whatever the fucking the kids listen to. I I'd go over with a fucking machine gun and end that.
1: Well, I mean, I just, I, I'm sure I'll cut the, the little bit of business that just happened out of the, yeah, yeah. I'll relate with the podcast. I got a daughter, college age daughter who wanders around the house all day long with her iPhone, blasting music out of this iPhone. Like it's a transistor radio. And right, she just right. walks we'll, you know, we'll be watching TV in the room. She just walks through, she's going to use the bathroom, but she never right. thinks, Oh, I should pause this. Cause people are listening right. or talking or doing something else in this fucking room. It's, it's a wild situation damn and what does she listen to yeah she's got some good taste and some just stupid stuff right. she was into she was into one direction which I thought was not so great but you know then that turned into Harry Styles and I think Harry Styles is all right Harry Styles is good yeah
0: one direction's not bad no I mean it's not like you know I mean whatever else they listen to it just sounds fucking insane to me like I truly understand like to my parents who were like fucking in, like berserk squares like the Beatles was like you know, uh, the, the Jesus Lizard in 1964 or something. <laughs> Motorhead. And uh, now I understand it because it just it sounds like like Kanye West sounds like a fucking a map of an insane person's brain on fire.
1: Yeah. To me. I so. love Kanye. And I love that. And that's
0: exactly what it stuff sounds like. I, I delight in that. But um, yeah. in a way, I cannot relate. To it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this movie was directed by this dude James Goldstone And you know I feel like he doesn't really bring anything To the table In this no. movie and, and, and But you know I, 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 Having said that I feel like the performances Are all good and some of them yeah, are great, yeah. and you know the shots are not. There are he occasionally has clever ways of telling things. There's nothing, there's nothing offensive about the direction, but it is just sort of very TV movieish at, at times. He um, he also directed Swashbuckler, so he has like a relationship with Jennings Lang. Um, he directed the gang that couldn't shoot straight, um, which he, I've never seen. I read the book when I was really young. He directed They Only Kill Their Masters, which I guess I thought might have been a TV movie. Is that about, like,
0: dogs? No, that's the Doberman. Yeah. It's about Doberman pictures. No, I think that's, like, a a regular theatrical movie with James Garner. Yeah. Okay. Um, He made a movie in
1: 1976 called Eric. Do you know this movie? No. I've never heard of it. No. Uh, And after Roller Coaster in 77... Oh Eric is Eric is supposedly a TV movie but it doesn't have its own Wikipedia page so I can't tell you anything else about it. But in 1980 he did uh, another uh, a real disaster movie when time ran
0: out. Uh, with Paul Which Newman. I don't remember. Dude. I don't that either. To me, that's That seems like the last disaster movie, and I don't remember it at all. Yeah, I don't remember. In I, 1980, I was full-blown obsessive, so yeah. it got by me. It's Paul Newman, Jacqueline Bisset, William
1: Holden, James Franciscus, Franciscus, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Bridges I mean, that's America, it. Yeah, but you're 18. <laughs> no, we should watch. We need to watch that at some point. Yeah, uh, I mean, we have to. And then he followed that up with another. I think this was a TV movie, but I could be wrong. Kent. He made a movie out of Kent State.
0: Oh yeah, that was a TV movie. I remember that. Yeah.
1: Then he did Rita Hayworth, Love Goddess, another TV movie. I remember
0: that. Who played her in that? Was that Lonnie Anderson? Uh, no, Linda Carter. Linda Carter. Ooh, good choice. Yeah.
1: Uh, then in 1984, he directed *Calamity Jane*,
0: which With um, Elizabeth uh, Montgomery.
1: Oh, I believe you. Okay, <laughs> and, but for <laughs> some reason, that. the wiki link f- for the movie actually <laughs> takes you to just an article about Calamity Jane, the uh, person. So I couldn't. Right. I couldn't confirm or deny what you just said. Uh, I'm just guessing. She might
0: have been Belle Starr. I'm not sure.
1: Now, in 1984, he did a TV miniseries adaptation of The Sun Also Rises.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that, but
1: uh, I remember. Starring the immortal Hart Bochner, <laughs> wow. uh, Jane Seymour, Robert Carradine, and Leonard Nimoy. Oh. And then his last two movies were Dreams of Gold, The Mel Fisher Story. Uh, Mel Fisher, yeah, an American made-for-TV drama starring Cliff Robertson and Loretta Swit. It is based on the actual adventures of treasure hunter Mel Fisher. <laughs> that sounds oh. like an SCTV bit. Yeah, Mel's rock pile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 1986. So they must have been trying to cash in on Indiana Jones, I guess. Probably. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Totally. And then finally, he rounded out, has closed down his career with uh, another TV project. I guess it was a movie. Oh, it was a two-hour pilot, but not picked up for a series called Earth Star Voyager, uh, which was oh. a Disney Sunday movie in 1988. Oh, sorry, I missed. Yeah. So that's the director, James Goldstone, who doesn't bring much to the table, but he's uh, you know, fine. He's fine.
0: Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's solid. I just, that was the word I kept thinking. This is a very solid production.
1: It is. I, I, yeah, absolutely. It goes down easy. It's a, it's comfort yeah. food. And you know, I honestly have to say 90% of that. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, you know, there aren't any real plot points that you're like, I, I feel like the, the, the moment that this movie sort of goes over the top in a way that it's like, Oh bro, really? Is like, Timothy Bott- Bottoms arrives in the Chicago hotel room where all of the uh, company executives are, and he's dressed as yeah. a waiter. That's a very, like, James Bond supervillain, you know, moment. Yeah. <laughs>
0: he's like, that's well, like I'm one. I wanted to make a point, because there's two things this movie brought up for me. Uh-huh. First off, the the idea that you can easily get bellhop clothes. Right. Or a janitor's uniform. Right. And slip in, and the, and the staff will not recognize you and wonder who you are. Yeah. Now, I have worked as a janitor uh-huh. and an elevator operator. where I had uniforms for that job. And you can't. I mean, everybody. you get one and you take it home with you. It's, it's very difficult to do.
1: Do you have pictures of yourself in the elevator operator uniform?
0: I do not. No. Oh, there were insane. no photographs of me doing at the Schwab House at 11 Riverside Drive in New York City. Um, and then sometimes I was a porter there which is the same as being a janitor and I would switch to my brown uniform which I was so fucking fat at the time they had to give me uh, I couldn't like, <laughs> they had to give me like some other fat guy's shirt and his name was James I had the I had the fucking name tag James that summer oh boy um, the uh, yeah the elevator operator it was it was just like a white shirt and blue pants with stripes on him and a blue jacket uh, that's too oh, bad. I was a doorman, and I had a doorman uniform, too. And, yeah, you can't just get a doorman, I but, you know, okay, it's the movies make the leap. Now, here's the other big one, mm-hmm. and this I realized when I was a, a child. You don't have to keep somebody on the line to trace a phone call. The phone company immediately knows what phone is calling what phone, and they always have. Huh. Now. It's not like now where you have a computer network And the police could automatically get that They would have to go to the phone company And get that information That would probably take a day Or whatever it was But um, So I think the only way they Could... St- you know, make the point that the police can't instantly find this out was the ridiculous. Keep them on the line, which was just universally accepted. Well, but as I mean, this is what but, they have
1: to do. But was it based on the fact that in a lot of these movie situations, it, it, it's the time sensitivity. It is that it is that they want to get that right away. Like they don't have the time to go to the phone company and do that whole process. They're trying to find right. out. No, where that's some it. Fucker that's is completely. The it. So
0: they've come up with this other uh, trope. But it, but. Just that that was just accepted as fact. Then keep him on the line, keep him talking, right? And you'll never keep him on the line long enough. And he's like, he's like, I won't. This phone call won't be long enough to trace. Right.
1: Well, right. And in the in the movie I mentioned earlier, in the Line of Fire, there's a ton of that shit. And the villains yeah. are yeah. always one step ahead. They're always like they've always got like something rigged to a tape
0: recorder and bouncing right. off right. of all sorts of bullshit. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk. Which about- now you could do with computers and stuff. Right. But it, you know, I mean, but.
1: Yeah, and those are two very very good points. And and uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that 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 uh, bellhop uniform is what what triggered you cuz
0: that's what triggered me. I was like, okay. The one that has that, the the example of that when I first realized that was uh, in Wall Street. Like Charlie Sheen has a full janitor's uniform. He's got like the ring of keys, he's got the <laughs> yeah, you know, you get your own broom, he's got his own broom, he's got his own bucket. It's like, come on, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's one step away from Ed Norton in that score movie where he's got the whole genre <laughs> yeah. and he's got the whole yeah. uh, dis- yeah. learning disability like, personality. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, how else are
0: you going to get them in there? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so Timothy Bottoms, uh, I you know, I, he's not somebody I think about a lot. I think he's well, I think he's good in this movie. It just seems he's had such a strange career. It's so weird to sort of trace him from last picture show to doing like George W. Bush for a
0: living, which is what he did yeah. for a while. Um, but uh, what was funny, he was on That's My Bush, which was right. like the satirical sitcom from the South Park guys. And then he was in like some deadly serious Showtime 9-11 movie as the serious George Bush.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. he cornered the market. And I yeah. guess he's got up. A- I mean, I don't. I've never seen or watched either one of those things. Uh, Not me neither. <laughs> I mean, I, and I guess he sort of looks like George W. Bush a little, but I don't know who. And then who did it in that fucking Oliver Stone movie? Was that uh, Josh Berlin? Yeah, son of James, one of our favorites, yeah, and, uh, that we keep bumping oh, yeah. into. Uh, but anyway, he's. You know what I? You know what I mostly thought about Tim Tim Bottoms in this movie and this again relates to this very loose trilogy. I'm now calling juggernaut and two minute warning is he reminds me in this movie so much of the killer in two minute warning. Um, sure. First of all, in that we never really understand the motivation for either one of these people. Right. I mean, yes, he says he's trying to get money, but it never really seems to, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that I buy that. And I don't think that George Siegel's character does either. I think he sort of rolls his eyes. It's like, no, you're a psychopath. Right. Um, but, but we never really know or care about his motivation, but he, they they also, when I think about the killer in two minute warning, for some reason, it's Tim bottoms that comes to my head. Um, they, I feel like they're wearing similar outfits and they have like a similar body type, but like, if you told me Tim bottoms was the guy playing the killer, the sniper in two minute warning, I'd say, yeah, okay. I believe that. Um,
0: yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the two minute warning guy is scary. He really is frightening. And Tim Bottoms didn't scare me. It's also like, and again, we watched Juggernaut. And the guy asked for a half million pounds. Right. That's like, dude, go to the fucking bank, man. I mean, the answer he <laughs> for he a, asked for $1 million here, right. Timothy Bottoms. Right. And, um, but at the same time, I mean, he's free to move about the country. He's somehow able to get on and off planes. Like, he yeah, has he the financial like wherewithal got to money. do that. Exactly. Like, That's he does not yeah. seem
1: he's hurting for anything. Uh, Yeah, he's got money to make all these plastic explosives and these fancy little walkie-talkie bombs.
0: Can change costumes. He's got endless,
1: like, cool tape that's, like, one-sided and you can peel off and stick on the other stuff. Uh, You know, he's got a nice haircut and decent slacks that he wears all the time. He's a very clean-cut young young man. Young man. Young man. Young man. Um, You know what? Uh, We were talking about all this location footage, and it's really great and brings so much atmosphere uh, to this movie that otherwise wouldn't be there. Um, I love that there's this sign that says in the, in that first, in the California park, uh, where they give you most of the atmosphere where they sort of spend their time and you get to see all these sort of carnival, uh, Barker, you know, games of skill and and things like that. But there's this great sign. I think it's for the roller coaster. It says no pregnant women, no hats or wigs. And then there's yeah. this amazing long braided blonde wig. That's like on the lever that they use to start the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, that and, is awesome. But I, the thing, the other thing, the thing that surprises me about this movie is that it seems like all of the amusement parks they shot at, they use the, their actual names. And I'm surprised that right. they got all those companies to go along with the yeah. idea that, that you could name their park, you know, cause it's, I don't know that this is actually, <laughs> you
0: know, that's an excellent point. And then I read that, um, because this movie bombed and Universal, Universal, like, dropped sense around after that. And mm-hmm. because another the other thing was they wanted to focus more on their theme parks. Right. So, yeah, you can't have a fucking guy. And I got to say, the first crash is definitely horrific without being unbelievable. Right. And that's another difference between the 70s thrillers and, you know, what would come later with CGI. Right. I mean, it looks fucking painful with this. you just see people just go upside down their heads are yeah, smashed. the
1: roller coaster car lands Oof. upside down on the concrete, and you're like, okay, those people everybody's got their inside, <laughs> yeah, it's
0: really bad news, man
1: yeah, and i was and i've since the first time I saw it in theaters, I've forever been haunted by the old guy who works in the amusement park yeah. and his reaction to uh to that crash and how devastated right. he is and I looked up.
0: Who he is, I meant to look him up, and I forgot
1: yeah yeah he's
0: he's just yeah he's he's spooked, he's just sort of a groundskeeper, and he's uh
1: his name is really Be- his 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 character name is Benny um I don't know, I'll find at some point i'll we'll, in my notes yeah. I'll bump into it and we'll talk about him then, but um have you ever seen the movie Carney,
0: yeah? Yeah, Robbie Robertson and uh, Gary Busey and Jodie Foster.
1: I that. never have, but I was wondering how that stacks up sort of atmosphere-wise with this.
0: Um, you know what? I saw that. That was an early cable movie for me. That might have been like 1982 or something at my uncle's house. And I, I loved it because it was on cable. And I've been wanting to see that again. And we should uh, we should watch that. All right. we should, uh, Even though I think that's like 1980 or something, but yeah. And there's this one
1: Kearney who talks to Timothy Bottoms before the crash. And because Timothy Bottoms keeps winning everything. Right. Um, Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, you know, Timothy Bottoms shows himself to be a good shot with whatever that gun or rifle that he's like shooting ducks with. And then the guy pegs him for like a fellow Vietnam vet. But that Carney is so young. That really reminds you. Oh wait, this is 1977, and people, Vietnam vets, are still in their late 20s or early 30s. Right, right. It's kind of wild. Could have been fresh back. Yeah. Um, I love all the um, shots of them checking those um, seat bar, the safety bars on the seats, yeah. like. It little details like that that, like, really brought me back to my amusement park days and made me think, oh, yeah, this is how this was.
0: Just, I mean, truly the happiest places on earth for me with amusement parks in the 70s, for sure.
1: Yeah. And um, it, I, did, I did enjoy that one of the few sort of character traits and ticks that we get to see with the young man is his propensity for getting cotton candy, wherever he goes. Right. And, you know, I, it's hard to, it's hard to know whether he didn't like that batch of cotton candy. And that's why he throws it into the <laughs> lion's head or he's just about to do, he's about to blow up yeah. or he just has blown up. It was up the, the moment. The right. It was time yeah. to go, but it also got me wondering, and trying to think, is there ever any real difference between cotton candy at different vendors or different amusement parks? Like, cotton candy seems to be like one of those things that's always just exactly the same. Uh, that's been my experience. I mean, I guess there's different flavors, but it's not like you get a bad
0: batch of cotton but it's candy, But there's really not. Right? It's, just this, it's just sort of a tutti-frutti flavor. Yeah. Like some's pink, some's green, some's blue. I, I do love it. I haven't had it yeah, in, yeah. in a it's long nice, time. Yeah.
1: But it's not, this, see, I don't think there's that kind of variation. Like, I think like no, his whole concept no. of, like, you got good cotton candy is, like, a weird thing to say. Right. Um, it's just spun sugar, yeah.
0: I think, right? It's
1: yeah. not like mozzarella sticks, which really do right. have right. a vast, spe- like, you could get, like, right. the greatest fucking mozzarella stick ever. Or you could get some total right. fucking, like, freezer piece of shit that's, you know. <laughs> right.
0: Or, you know, in, like, uh, boardwalk terms, like, uh, you know, a, a hot dog. You know, some, like some mm-hmm. places are very famous for having the best hot dogs or the best French fries, right. or just sort of walking around food like that. Right. Right. So um, I, oh, I wanted to this. point out the carton of cigarettes is the prize at the prize stand. Yes. That was great, completely too. accurate. Our hippie uncles, there were multiple uh, cigarette stands in Keensburg, New Jersey. And our hippie uncles would have us go, give us all our dimes and try to try to win them cartons of cigarettes. And it was very triumphant when we did.
1: Yeah. Although I do thought I thought that that was the one maybe false moment in George Segal's whole character journey of trying to quit cigarettes. And this this is how we first meet. We we haven't talked about George Segal yet, (laughs) who is the star of this movie. And is was, wonderful, you know, just as wonderful as usual, just
0: yeah. great, 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 great.
1: Uh, but we, when we first get introduced to him, he's in the middle of uh, being in the middle mid session of like a, a, cigarette, uh, aversion therapy, aversion therapy. Did you ever yeah. do any aversion therapy? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know that they still
0: do anything like that.
1: <laughs> There's that Stephen King short story. I think it's called Quitters Incorporated, which is all about exactly it's that in like a cat's conversion. eye yeah right i was going to right in the movie, the yeah. movie. was yeah. the, was it did he write a, a short story anthology book called cat's eye or did they just or was cat's eye just know. the name of the i think cat's eye i think was it was just, just stories yeah. yeah um which was a, a great short story and i don't know the, you know i can't remember if the cat's eye version was who do you remember who the story was the star movie was good was? it was
0: james Woods. oh yeah james was Woods. Great. Yeah. yeah right yeah he's a good guy for that yeah, in like his, I, I love James Woods in the movies. It's yeah. it's a bummer. It's a bummer because I I truly love him as an actor.
1: Yeah, and you know, he, he, Videodrome is is like a
0: you know milestone for me. Yeah, I mean, truly, anytime he ever showed up, it was great.
1: I I want to tell you, I went to this this first part of the movie. You know, in this California amusement park, I can't remember what it's called, Ocean View or something like that is the most sort of carnival-like of all the things. It's the one that feels least like one of these big corporate amusement parks and much more just sort of like a mom and pop. Like maybe this is something that got opened up seasonally or something. Um, But it reminded me of being a kid in uh, summer camp, sleepaway camp, up in uh, Freedom, Maine. Uh, One night we got to go to, the whole camp went to, I guess it was like a state fair, you know, it's kind of a right. car- it must have been the state fair, but it was at night, and we went in a couple of buses full of kids, and um then we got sort of split up into smaller groups, like so they were like me and ten other kids were in charge, We are like supposed to stick together and go through, do whatever we wanted as a group, and then meet back and about five minutes into being at this state fair it was at night, I happened to stumble upon a wad of cash. Just laying on the ground. Oh Lord! I picked it up and it was forty bucks, and this was like nineteen seventy-eight. Oh, uh, that's
0: serious. Yeah,
1: so it was serious, serious money. Like I probably had a dollar yeah. in my pocket. I think you right. were. I think you were really only supposed to bring like twenty bucks to camp for the whole month with you in cash. Right. Um, so I picked up this forty bucks, and I looked around, and there was nobody else, nobody looking for the money, and you know it was a crowded fucking state yeah. fair. So I then became like Richie Rich. And I like was... <laughs> me and the 10 kids who were with me, I bought everybody a fucking wad of ride tickets. We went went wild. We all had cotton candies and hot dogs. I mean, I blew through that 40 bucks over the course of the next two hours and had spent it all. And we had the fucking time of our lives. It was the greatest That's thing fantastic. ever. Then yeah. we get back to the bus with all the other kids. We get on the bus and we then discover... That there's a kid who was on our bus, but not part of our little group of ten people who had lost forty dollars at the start oh. of the night. It was like it turned out this forty bucks was the was forty bucks of my fellow camper. Um, oh, bummer! And I didn't even I you know I said oops sorry, but didn't really take any responsibility and didn't make no, any attempt. No, that's to, the name of that. To him. That's make, gone. I didn't make yeah. any attempt to scrape up the money and give him anything back. Loser's weeper spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, 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 um, yeah. So let's talk
0: a bit about. Um, oh, so the uh, young man has George Siegel running through the park, uh, you know, akin to, but much less nerve wracking than Dirty Harry running around San Francisco with Deborah Lee Scott in the hole, right. going from payphone to payphone.
1: Right. Well, this with Lalo whole, Schifrin music. This whole middle of the movie, and it's an insanely long sequence. You know, for yeah. something that isn't, it's not a red herring, but it's that point in the movie yeah. where like, you know, it, you know, it's too early in the movie for it to be the climax. And you know that right. they aren't going to catch Timothy Bottoms at that point, but still it's, it's the major set piece of the movie where he's, George Segal is supposed to deliver this money, uh, to, to Timothy Bottoms, but Timothy Bottoms is putting him through the paces and making sure that Richard Woodmark and
0: all the other cops are not involved yeah but, so uh so he puts him on the well he makes him get a hat and it's not even that goofy it's just like a regular like bucket hat with his name on it right but you know the thing about it is kind of goofy it's a it's
1: a hideous lime green hat. a little bit and, yeah but the thing about it the thing that makes it goofy is that it's too small and it right and I realized right. this about myself that I feel like it triggered some kind of OCD or something with me like where that bothered me like the I kept I kept thinking, this fucking hat's going to fall off of George Seagal's
0: head. I, I, I had the same thought. Like, he's got to keep that on his fucking head. But, uh, so, he puts him on a safari train. Now, did you ever go through to a drive-through safari? We had Warner Brothers Jungle Habitat and the Great Adventure. That was the big, like draw when they first opened in the late 70s
1: i I never did i think i one time went on the great adventure safari it was something i never i didn't get to go to great adventure that often my mom was not into the idea of taking us to an amusement park and spending the day there and i think that the one or two times that she was involved with us going there i think she drew the line at the safari i think she really was like you know, anti-safari, like these animals yeah. don't belong. But but I did yeah, do completely. one once, yeah, I think. Yeah. But I, I, I don't remember actually getting to see any animals. My sense of the safari right. was, where the fuck are these things?
0: <laughs> they just wised up, stay away from the cars, yeah. man. Yeah. They always seem terrified. First off, it's horrible that the animals are there. Mm-hmm. But then, like, I, do you want a fucking, like, giraffe and baboons on the roof of your car and stuff? No. No, thanks. No. Yeah. Right. Lions. That, right. They always put you on, like, a lion. Yeah. So um Well, so then tur- I think
1: that the thing that George Siegel does, and I think that I think that Great Adventure was, you you didn't take your own car. They had these little tram right. cars. So it wasn't like, I, I have seen I those think, safaris where I you drive I yourself.
0: I think Great Adventure had, I think it was drive through Okay. Because you'd hear probably urban legend that the baboons, if you had like vinyl on the roof of your car, it smelled like bananas and they would eat the vinyl <laughs> off the roof of
1: your car. i never heard that urban
0: legend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had, I had my ear to the ground on all yes, that stuff. Yeah. Um, so now they do. So both the King's Dominion and King's Island are affiliated with Hanna Barbera, who we mentioned earlier. Right. And i like to sing a little bit of a song. Now, I was desperate to get all the lyrics and I, can't, I, I failed. But it's hello to Yogi. Hello to Boo Boo. Hello to Scooby Doo. Barney and Fred say hi. And it keeps going. But I then did look. It was called the Happy Land of ha- of Hanna Barbera, that section of the park. And there's tons of videos that I'll b- I'll post online. So I'll get lost in that. Okay,
1: I'm going to plug that song in in at this point
0: in the podcast. We'll, All right, we'll, good. Yeah, we'll we'll enjoy enjoy it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then yeah. So we got to talk about Dick Widmark as the uh, yes. Kind Although of I did uh, bump
1: into the name of Benny, the actor. His name is Harry Davis. Oh, Harry Davis, uh, and Harry Davis was in American Gigolo. Oh, uh, as a Park Bernay representative. He was also in a TV movie called Kojak, the Belarus File, and he played that the was rabbi. Like 80s one. Yeah. Uh, he was in the Paper Chase TV series. He was in an episode of All in the Family. Uh, Archie's brief encounter, Part Three, is that when Archie has an affair? Is that like the Death of a Salesman episode? Oh, of... I
0: think it is. I yeah. think it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> he was in the Serpico TV series. He was in the Streets of San Francisco TV Quinn series, Police Story. He was also in the gang that couldn't shoot straight. So he was a Jennings Lang uh, and James Goldstone favorite. Um, he was in the Mission Impossible original TV series. Uh, wow. But going back to the start of his career it was also a lot of TV. Even in the fifties, he was in Treasury Men in Action, Studio One in Hollywood, <laughs> uh, Lux Video Theater. So he had a wow. he had a long, decent career. Yeah, let's talk about Richard Woodmark. He's he's one of these guys. And I know we bring somebody up like this every week, where it's like. He just was always there. It's like as long as I've been alive, he's yeah. been yeah. like. And and again, right. I'm like, I don't really know why, but right. I, but he wasn't a million things. I mean, his list of movies is
0: just endless. Yeah, he looks old in this, and I don't. I don't. He often was sixty three. I figured it out. Wow, well, that was old in 1977. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ.
1: Well, you bring up, and I want to talk about him, but you bring up this point. Well, you didn't really, but but mentioning that. Yeah. One thing that was striking to me about this movie was that even into the 70s, movies were allowed to be populated with older people Yeah, in in movies that weren't just specifically about old people. Right. Like, this isn't Cocoon, but 95% of this cast is either 45 years or older, it seems. And there's nothing, you know, at the time, there's nothing strange about that. We just weren't pandering to fucking preteens with every single thing
0: that we did. Right. It's, it's sad and, and, and fucking, you know, 38 year olds Who somehow think they're kids Right I, I, I know so fucking many of them Like, how, how ancient and decrepit did you feel By the time you were 19? I was yeah. like over I had fucked up my life already well, even Ugh. the fact that
1: that Timothy Bottom's character name is Young Man, he's not particularly
0: young, young in this movie. No. He's, in his he's younger than the maybe. other people. But, yeah. but I made the point watching it when, uh, with Rachel. I was talking about George Segal trying to quit smoking, and, um, and she said it's very 70s. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's like this was back when your midlife crisis was 30, and he's probably 40, 45. And she said, so he probably has had friends that have died of heart attacks. Right at this point, right. which is why he's trying to quit smoking. Right, right. So, yeah, it was a very different <laughs> world. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so Richard Woodmark, what Richard do you want Widmark, to say about Dickie him? Dickie Woodmark, um, he's very good, uh, good as the sort of heartless head of the cabal of uh-huh. amusement park owners. I, I love the any scene where there's like a bunch of guys, you know, super powerful guys in a room. And you feel like they should be drinking like blood out of skull goblets. (laughs) That's what it seems like. There's a great line when Timothy Bottoms is listening in, where he makes his his money demand, and you you just hear somebody say, "We have to pay," and somebody else says, "We have to pray." Defeat this with morality. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I suspect it was the guy whose cowboy hat was on the table. Yeah.
1: There is. um, Yeah, that guy's great. There is a guy, there is this, there's one moment in this film and it st- stood out to me so much and it's, um, they have their initial encounter, uh, and then George Segal goes home. I guess it's, I guess it's after, I can't remember when it's, it's, it's in the first third of the movie. It's before Timothy Bottoms sends George Segal to, um, where is he going to Virginia? North Virginia? Uh, yeah to the old Dominion. Goes to Virginia it's Dominion. It's before that. It's like yeah. Timothy Bottoms calls him up at home for the first time. Right. Um and then Richard Woodmark immediately shows up at George Siegel's doorstep because he's also heard from they've also heard from the bomber right. and the bomber has told them that George Siegel needs to be the guy to deliver the money. So they come to his house to tell him he's got to do that. And they're having some kind of conversation and George Siegel says something I guess funny, I can't remember what it is, but Richard Widmark just sort of chuckles, but in a very natural sort of um, non-sarcastic and um, non—what's the word I'm looking for? Theatrical. Theatrical. Yeah, not the, but but sardonic. Like the thing about yeah, okay. Richard Widmark yeah, yeah. is he's got this really sardonic sense of humor. He's constantly yeah. he always sort of seems like he's being sarcastic and cynical like no matter what he does it's always like a sort of arch the you yeah. right, theatrical uh sardonic thing, but there's a, this was like the most unguarded Richard Widmark laugh that I've ever seen him do in a movie and I was like, "Oh wow, this is like yeah. This is like the, another side of Richard Woodmark, so a I, was, moment. I was happy for that.
0: So, we just talk about Sparks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big... Uh,
1: let me cover it. Before we get to Sparks, sure. let me run through a couple yeah. of these other things that I have. Um, Please. Um... <laughs> Okay, so one of the things I one of the other things I was uh, when I was listening to our Capricorn One podcast last night, um, and I brought up the fact that they used to call everything Hitchcockian back in the seventies. Yeah. Any kind of thriller, well, immediately all they ever talked about was Hitchcock, and and Pat Healy was correctly saying that that movie sort of owed more of a debt to Alan Bakula and those conspiracy uh, thrillers. Sure. Um, all the president's men and parallax view. But I mean, I think that those, you know, th- those also owed some, some, those were also and in their own way. And you of know, course North by Northwest is certainly a, sort of a conspiracy thriller. Um, but I was noticing in the, um, reading the Vincent Camby review of Roller Coaster in the New York times today, he of course brings up Hitchcock and, so I I you know I, I'm not saying that, that that the critics were fair in in bringing up the name Hitchcock anytime anybody made a thriller but but they did they I don't they don't anymore uh no they don't but, know who he is now I
0: mean <laughs> right who would you make that reference right, to right
1: right 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 um and so another thing was that um in my mind until I watched it again this year I had thought of George Siegel as a much kind of schlubbier character uh, you know, which he really right. isn't in this movie. He's not a little
0: bit. He's a yeah. little
1: bit, and and I think that that's because you get the sense that when Levinson and Link were writing this screenplay, they were still had their heads full of Columbo, completely, and, then, and, and that they were, yeah. you know, that they were almost writing this like for Peter Falk, like and and, and um, yeah, and but but I love that I love the scene early on where we get to find out that. Um, George Siegel has an ex wife and a daughter, baby Helen Hunt. And he comes right. to the house to pick up Helen Hunt, and his ex wife is saying he looks good. And George Siegel tells her that he's, he's, he's been using a hot comb on him. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I, I might
0: have in the seventies, but whatever. It was comb. a seventies thing, but I think it was mostly black people that used a hot comb. Yeah, well, he you hear about, and I really only know about like from from like good times, right?
1: Stuff. But he because George Siegel probably had like a Jufro that he would then right. sort of, yeah, like, that makes to, sense. Yeah. yeah,
0: the hot comb. So uh, we should talk about Helen Hunt for a minute. You know, they would reunite in the uh, nineteen eighty five movie, TV movie, Not My Kid. Which was the second oh. of Helen Hunt's two great '80s anti-drug TV movies. The lesser, I got to say, he plays a doctor in that. Um, the first one is called Desperate Lives from '82 with Doug McKeon, mm. and that has the incredible scene. Have you ever seen where Helen Hunt takes PCP and jumps through a plate glass window? No, it's the it's the it's the greatest fucking thing you've ever seen. So oh, yeah, wow. I. I I have the YouTube link in the notes here. Oh, good. Excellent. She she jumps through the plate glass window and then rolls around on the... it's like at school. And she rolls around the grass like... like She's like, I got bugs on me! And she's like rubbing glass in her arms and stuff.
1: Have you seen Helen Hunt lately? Like the 2020 no. Helen Hunt? No, there's a, no. There was an Amazon movie that she was in from last year or this year. And I don't know what she did. She had some kind of cosmetic surgery on her face and she looks... Absolutely insane.
0: Um, yeah. The PCP. Right. <laughs> to, but, get that, to get that window crash corrected all these years later.
1: But I love, But so I love the scene where he comes to uh, the house and talks about his hot comb, and then he keeps looking over at this guy who's sitting at the kitchen table, and I guess it's his ex-wife's new boy, live-in boyfriend. Yeah. And I, first I thought, oh, my God, I love this guy's robe. He's wearing one of those, like, manly for some reason, it always reminds me of football, like a f- weird football right. yeah, robe. Yeah. And at first, I was like, "This is a great robe." And then, of course, it turns out to be a plot point in that it's actually George Siegel's robe that he got as a birthday right. present from his ex-wife, and now this this new guy <laughs> Dale is 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 using is using that. And I also love that Just keeping
0: his dick inside of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> and, yeah. And then I also love that he then takes Helen Hunt to a pet store where she's dicking around with hamsters. And that yeah. the way he discovers that there's been another amusement park like bombing or fire. I don't even know exactly what Timothy Bottoms does in Pittsburgh. It's a, yeah,
0: they don't show Pittsburgh. No, It's kind of cool. He arrives
1: in Pittsburgh. They show you a sign of the amusement park and it cuts to the amusement park, but the fire trucks are already there and there's smoke. It's a smoke. Yeah. It's a nice little bit of business. I also like that. They're that the, the name of the development company, whatever that is, is the Susquehanna (laughs) development company, which which I'm assuming is a reference to that vaudeville bit. Um, but anyway, but but the, I like that the way George Siegel finds out that there's been another incident. And he's he's literally reading the newspaper at the bottom of a hamster cage in this in this pet store. Oh, right! Like yeah. that's a nice way of like you know uh, getting your exposition out there. Like stick stick it yeah. in the bottom of a of a pet cage. Very good.
0: I also I like, like seeing that little hamster bowl running around yeah, the floor. That was nice too. I yeah.
1: also like that you know Henry Fonda doing one of his like I'm I'm on set for two days you know, get whatever you can out of me rolls <laughs> yeah. literally starts with it, with him phoning it in. Like his first scene is him just yeah. on the phone with George Segal. Yeah. And, and something that I never thought of until maybe halfway through watching it again last night is, you know, um, George Siegel and, and Timothy bottoms. They, they're not in a scene together. They're not on, you know, in the same space in this right. movie until the very end. but, Their phone work and their walkie-talkie work, where they're talking to each other, I'd buy every minute of that. Like, I never once think, like, oh, you know, George is talking to nobody or talking to somebody else. And I kind of wonder, were they on the set for each other, like, feeding each other their lines? Because the chemistry... Is so great. But then that made me think, you know, George Segal's chemistry with everybody in this movie is really great. His chemistry with yeah. Richard Widmark is great. He does great scene work with Henry Fonda. He does good scene work even with Susan Strasberg, who I feel is... Here's Susan, Susan Strasberg, who is Lee Strasberg's daughter. Right. Her career, she started off by playing Anne Frank on Broadway. And then she moved over eventually to starring in the Manitou. So make what you will of that career trajectory, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. And, and and I think there's a, there's a good a good bunch of people who say okay, that's, that's we got to do Manitou because yeah,
0: I did see that in the seventies because it was on Channel Nine shortly after it was in the theaters.
1: Yeah, um, but it seems like Henry Fonda was there for at least two days on the set because he's in that restaurant scene at the beginning where he gets called away and calls. George Siegel on the phone. And then there's another scene with him later on with George Siegel in, in Henry Fonda's office. And Henry Fonda's office looks like a furniture store showroom. There's so much <laughs> fucking furniture. This, he's got this desk. I actually had the chair. thought
0: it looked like Larry Flint's office. Oh, okay. <laughs> like so much shit. Like all these alcoves and yeah, all this extra furniture. Yeah, he's there. got this office
1: chair that's like a throne. It's gigantic. Yeah. And his yeah. desk is ridiculously ornate. I don't right. know what's going on with that. But that brought me to the fact that, in, his, in, his, in as many times as I've seen this movie, I've probably seen it four times over the years. Like, I don't understand. I don't even really understand what the fuck is George Siegel's
0: job. He is a field inspector I was inspector. just about to ask you that. <laughs> I was just about to ask you. I was like, it occurred to me he's not a detective. No. He's not a cop. Right. He's a field uh, inspector. But I don't understand. He says he's a civil servant. Wait, is he a
1: civil servant? Is this a state agency that Henry Fonda works for and is Well, he says I'm a
0: civil servant at one point. Because my initial note was that uh, I wrote Henry Fonda top cop. And I was like, oh, they're not cops. I don't know what they are. Right. Henry but he Fonda seems, seems like, a, like a cop to just go anywhere. But Henry Fonda
1: seems like he's running his own company. Like he's, you know, uh, yeah. like George Siegel threatens him at the beginning that he's going, if he doesn't send him to, uh, Virginia or Chicago, yeah. he wants to go to Chicago at that point. He's like, if you don't send me to Chicago, I'm going to start talking about your nephew who cut some corners. When he's like, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. Is this a state agency? I guess that it seems is. like a
0: city planner thing. Or I guess a, so. Yeah.
1: It's just weird, and it's weird that yeah. Henry Fonda has that crazy office if he's if he, too, yeah. is a civil servant. But that brings me—I'm glad that we backtracked for that because then it brings me to these absolutely—not a lot of them, but these great shots. I love how this movie travels all over the country, but there's some great Chicago shots, and watching yeah. them— You know, uh, stuff over by Lake Michigan. And then later on, there's like whatever they call that Wilco building, you know, the the thing that's on the cover of the the corn cob. Yeah, the corn cob building that you see from a helicopter. Uh, Those are great Chicago shots and made me think, man, I almost never see Chicago in movies and certainly not recognizable Chicago and certainly not in the 70s. What am I forgetting? What are some Chicago 70 movies that are Chicago? I think there's a ton of them. We got to look that up. I don't know. Dude, no. you're a Chicago guy now. You have to be the man responsible I am.
0: for this. Uh, Adam Karsten and Mike Vanderbilt are doing a, a Chicago movie uh, podcast, so we've got to oh, ask good. those boys. All right. Well, they should invite us on, and we'll talk about the roller coaster in yeah, Chicago. Yeah, for scenes. sure. Um, but no, that's a great point, because you'd think there'd be some kind of gritty cop shit, but I, I don't know that there is. So. Did it strike you
1: when you saw this? The other Oh yeah. Today, yeah. Like, no, oh, it's, it's great it's to Chicago. see. It.
0: Well also there was I don't know there's this legendary amusement park that was right on the lake and I don't oh. know if that's it or when that closed or I think that was Buddies. What the stories? <laughs> 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 buddies. Is well, that still open? Uh I don't think so. No. You should say Buddies was a little tiny place on uh Flatbush Avenue on the way to King's Plaza from our houses.
1: But what I learned in later yeah. years is that the amusement part of it was really called Fairyland and Buddy's. Right, it was, was Buddy's
0: Fairyland. It was the arcade? Oh, but
1: well, Buddy's right.
0: Buddy's was the arcade. Right, and then the, but I believe it was called Buddy's Fairyland. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, the, but those were like basically slightly juiced up versions of the quarter rides at the supermarket.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and there was yeah. another one further into Sheepshead Bay that my grandparents used to take me to sometimes. That I thought was Mecca, like this was the ultimate because right. I yeah. rarely got to go to it. And that was Peter Pan Playland. I never got there. Yeah, and that never was bigger, than and buddies. I never got
0: to, never got to Nellie Bly. Either. Oh, you never got to Nellie Bly? Nope. Which is now called Adventureland. Yeah. Oh. What do they have there? Or if it, well, I don't actually, I don't know. My niece, my my niece used to go there, and that was 14 years ago at this point. Yeah. So I don't know. So. Oh. No, never got there. Well, I mean, we had we were in Keensburg all the time. You know, we we just take the hour drive down to Jersey. So,
1: all right. Um, As I plow through our notes here, th- or my notes, I also have this yeah. note: Harry Gardino
0: has a truly amazing toupee. That th- that toop <laughs> is is the poop. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> like that fucking just that pile of of just hard plastic <laughs> simulated heaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's. Oh, there's a great uh, Lalo Schifrin uh, right before Sparks, that bongo and flute jam that kicks up all of Yeah, like that's a hippie band. Who are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was wild. I think that's
1: that band that you had the shirt
0: of that funk band. Uh, uh, Sh- Shooty's Groove? Groove. I think that was that's so Groove. It's so funny. When I uh, after that show, people were posting to me on Facebook. <laughs> I used to love Shooty's Groove. <laughs> yeah. It was the '90s, man. Um, well, let's talk. Okay, so let's, let's talk about Sparks. That's fine. Okay. Let's do it. So they uh, they stepped in for Kiss, who initially were going to do it, who left to do Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, also shot at Magic Mountain. Kiss also turned down Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They were going to be the future villain band, mm. which went to Aerosmith. And Aerosmith got a huge uh, hit from that that's still on the radio and classic rock channels all the time, the Come Together cover. Um, Sparks is a weird choice Uh, Sparks You know One of My top five bands ever But They were forced On the public Repeatedly And the republic On the the republic And the public Repeatedly said No thank you Well
1: I mean, they're a band that, for me, started and basically finished with their Saturday Night Live appearance, which I thought was one of the greatest things of all time. Yeah. And completely blew me away. And I was lucky enough to have recorded it on VHS at the time and would watch it over and over and over again. And it's interesting that seeing them here in this slightly earlier incarnation, how different they were in 77 than they were. What year was it that they were on SNL? 80? 80? 82 Oh, 82 So that's five
0: years later So what it is is So Sparks went through th- a few major phases They were glam rock That shit is brilliant um, Kimono My House Indiscreet and Propaganda Just three of the greatest like albums a, of like, time. So you're
1: saying like T-Rex, kinda
0: Yeah But or super Mark, campy um, Amped up You know, just this hyper crazy cartoony But, but it'd be fucking brilliant I mean, amazing lyrics Everything about them then they went disco, but like weird Euro disco, and they became huge in England. Which is why, like, Morrissey is obsessed with them. And, and what years and are they, those? That is the late 70s into the early 80s. But, and that's post Roller Coaster? So, Roller Coaster was the album Big Beat, which was produced by Rupert Holmes. And that was, like, <laughs> going to be a hard rock album. Yeah. Right,
1: because that's and how this, they come off here. Like, right. uh, what's his name's got a huge hair. Like down
0: to his yeah, shoulders. Yeah, that's uh, Russell. Male. Russell, right? Well, he always had that. He's like the the gorgeous boy toy with the giant hair. Yes, and but by Ron the time the that they're
1: on SNL in '82, he has got more of like a flock of seagulls poof, like a yeah. a much more yeah, new wavey.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the next phase. But uh, so so big beat like they didn't they, it didn't work with Rupert Holmes I mean the, the songs are great but it's not hard enough like if they they should have done a, a full metal record
1: now they're singing a song I think called Big Boys or Big Boys? filler up is the first right. one the Big Boy, Big Boy
0: is so they had a song which is called a great Big song, Boy but that's on the one. like if they Big had Beat. just if they had gotten like Bob Ezrin or like a real like major hard rock it would be the greatest mm-hmm. um but they're amazing in this uh then then comes the disco stuff Because they so loved... Like, they were discovered by Todd Rundgren as half Nelson. He was their initial benefactor and produced their stuff. They fucking loved Bat Out of Hell. They thought it was, like, the funniest fucking rock record ever made. Like, the wittiest. So they said, let's make the Bat Out of Hell of disco. So that's the album number one song in heaven. And it's just, like, them, like, pushing, like, Giorgio Ramona as far as it can go. And then it's the new wave stuff, which is... Um, angst in my pants which is what they did on SNL. Right. Where they did and Mickey they Mouse did that, and I I predict I predict. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two uh, greatest and,
1: and like it's so funny I I was so mesmerized by their performance. I, the songs themselves I thought were the greatest things I've ever heard. Yeah. Their their stage presence knocked me out of my socks and yet Somehow that never translated me
0: to me buying an album or investigating oh, further. It's so
1: weird. I went I didn't out pick and up as on soon that. as
0: I got whatever it was, five bucks together. I went to uh, Record Explosion on uh, Kings Highway and I got the Angst in My Pants" record.
1: I don't know what happened.
0: I don't know how I didn't do that. It's so weird. But you know, they, but they were constantly on. There are there are a ton of movie soundtracks. They were the at the end of the eighties they were the third most played band on K-Rock in Los Angeles. Huh. Right. But like the public was like we don't want these guys. <laughs> so right. it's really weird. Well,
1: right, when one of the guys in the band is basically doing like a, a
0: Hitler impersonation
1: all <laughs> whole time. It's like, yeah, it's a, you know.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, he's that's Ron Mayle, the older guy. He's yeah. got the the short Hitler Charlie Chaplin mustache. And,
1: well, you know the um, one thing about Sparks that I thought uh, that I thought for the longest time, based on that SNL thing, was that they were British. Like, I could not register in my head that these right. were California guys. And when I finally heard them talk, I was like, "What? Right. This fucking guy, Ron Mail, sounds like this. Like, I don't. Yeah. It, it
0: didn't translate to me. No, they grew up like in Hollywood, yeah. and they they used to tell people they were Doris Day's sons. Yeah. Like, that was their initial <laughs> it yeah. which is fucking hilarious. Yeah,
1: remember when bands always made up their backstories like Cheap Trick like I don't know oh, this shit. Cheap Trick used to make up all kinds of fucking that's shit that's awesome oh yeah
0: me and uh Meg McCarvel told uh the Chicago Reader that we were father and daughter engaged in case of the military. We were the only father daughter combo currently on the Chicago noise rock scene.
1: You know what? You know what occurred to me. I was trying to think what is another band that has that that is anything like the trajectory of Sparks, and the only one that I could think of, and I don't think they were around as long and went through quite as many phases, but seemed to hit some of those same major sort of genres the way Sparks did. Was Split Ends uh, out of out of yeah. New Zealand or? I think they're New Zealand Yeah we're, I'm not as familiar I just know they're Right But they also like Were yeah. pre-New Wave and With, with right. more art rock Kind of stuff Right And then became New Wave And then Sort of went Post-New Wave And then broke up And became Crowded House And whatever fuck else They do Yeah And also so, two uh, brothers Tim Finn and Neil Finn So oh, they yeah. have that In common too Yeah
0: So uh, Charlie Tuna Plays the rock show MC The great uh, announcer that we know from He was also in the I've never seen this I always wanted I always mean to watch Racket Which is the Burt Convy tennis movie From 1979 mm. uh, But he was the game show announcer uh, The 10, 25, and 100,000 dollar pyramid Scrabble categories The Mike Douglas show America's top 10 Which was an absolute destination uh, viewing for me From whatever that was 1980 to 80. Or whatever it was it mm-hmm. was Casey Kasem's video show Because we didn't have MTV in stupid Brooklyn Right um, And Thick of the Night He was the announcer on Thick of the Night Oh Yeah So yeah, yeah we get to the climax And uh, you know It doesn't work out for Timothy Bottoms It looks like George Siegel suits him in the dick when the gun finally goes off.
1: Yeah, and then it seems like he shoots him in the butt. Like, it doesn't make any sense, because he's standing right in front of him, and then every time you see Tim Bottoms after that, it looks like his ass is bleeding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it also seems like it doesn't slow him down at all. You know no, he, no, he still manages to run himself right into the roller coaster, <laughs> which is
0: hilarious, yeah. which is like what you hope like as a kid, like, oh, man, I hope he gets killed by the yeah. roller coaster. <laughs> and then he does. He gets mowed down by the roller coaster.
1: I don't want to I don't want to skip this line. There's a great line from Richard Woodmark that I appreciate now that I live in Wisconsin, where he says every fish fry in America is going to be doing it up for the fourth um, they're, just, <laughs> they're trying to figure wow. out where this guy might strike next. And they're realizing he's got a lot of targets. Uh, there's also a funny bit with Richard Widmark going back and forth through a metal detector. Because George Siegel is tracking yeah. down to an airport. And he gets through the detector and blah, blah, blah. And as we mentioned, Steve Gutenberg has a cameo. Um, ch Russell mail falls off the stage at some point yeah that's a good that 's good. I also love that thing the uh, there's like the world 's longest there 's a bit where like these the the finally the FBI whoever has sort of caught up to uh, Timothy bottoms, and they are able to get onto the roller coaster to disarm this bomb that they 've found, um, and they 're hoping that Timothy bottoms isn 't paying any attention and at a certain point he finally realizes, oh these guys are up there and they're about to disarm this bomb and they you know in classic juggernaut style there's this guy and he's going to cut the white wire but it's these, he's this big fat guy and he's got like these big fat he's like seems like the worst guy in the world to do this (laughs) and also it seems to take him like a good 30 seconds just to cut this one wire even though he's already got the the wire cutters in place but I love that he cuts the wire I think and then they cut if Sparks is still playing and they cut the Sparks and there's these pyrotechnics and it like looks like Sparks is blowing up yeah it's a great little It's a great (laughs) fake-out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that there's this bit, finally, where Timothy Bottoms has uh, to—he hands his cotton candy to a random kid so that he can—because his family tries to get him to take their picture, and that's actually how he discovers that they're disarming the bomb. But he's got his cotton candy with him, and he literally just hands it to some kid who takes it and then just keeps walking with it. That was the 70s. That's the 70s. (laughs) Uh, I like when Craig Wasson said, "I bet it hits five G's going into that loop because they're looking at this new roller right. coaster." And then his girlfriend, who's even bigger hippie than he is, she goes, "Far <laughs> out,
0: far out." Don't they say something about doesn't she say something like, "I'm not that high"? Yeah, she or does like says that.
1: that later too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, hit by the coaster. Charlie Tuner, young man, bottoms. and uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think I've covered more than enough of my notes. Um, All right, let me tell you oh, a little few something. more notes
0: on um, uh, sensor round. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Twentieth uh, Century Fox uh, created Sound Three Hundred and Sixty as a comp- competitor for Damnation Alley. And Warner Brothers created Ultrasound for Altered States, Outland, Wolfen, and Superman 2.
1: Okay, every single one of those movies you named, I saw in the theater on their initial run, so chances are I experienced those wow. quasi that's a, that's, that's a hell
0: of a run, man. Um, Holiday in the Sun I mean, <laughs> by the Sex Pistols. had no idea this was the lyric. Yeah. It's incense around sound in a two-inch wall. I was waiting for the says con- One of my karaoke go-to's, and it's never like occurred to me that it says sense around.
1: But aren't you singing the lyrics off of a I screen? I must be
0: singing. I, yeah, I just like never like stuck <laughs> in my brain.
1: Wait a minute. You need to let me know the next time you're karaokeing, and there's an opportunity for me to see you sing that. I would. I would. Um, oh my god! I would drive any karaoke- distance.
0: Once a week. Oh, my God. We were addicted. Like, pinball and karaoke is what we do.
1: You don't have your own karaoke thing at home, do you?
0: We did, oh. yeah. I mean, now everybody does. But, yeah, we had microphones and stuff. We had a machine. We, yeah.
1: we have one of those microphones, and I love it yeah. so much, with the echo, the built-in, like, yeah, yeah. echo, and the, yeah. and the, you just send your iPhone signal to it, and, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. No, we had the old-style machine. We had to get DVDs for it and everything. Mm-hmm. So... All right. Shall we go through uh, what was playing? Also showing. Yeah. Yeah. So this opened because I I pulled a bunch of exploitation ads out of the Daily News also. So,
1: all right. Let's go times. Let's go high to low. Let's go times. (laughs) Daily News. So this opened Friday, June tenth, nineteen seventy seven. The world was in the midst of, or at least New York was in the midst of, Star Wars mania. Right. Um, Bad
0: for roller coaster. Very bad Bad for for everything.
1: And roller coaster opened in the New York Times with a one and a half page ad, which is pretty cool.
0: Right. Did you see one of these in the Daily News? The Daily News was the two full pages. Oh. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know why they did it like this, but it's it's the ro- It's like the loop part of the roller coaster, and it extends from one page to the other. Yeah, right. It's and, broken in the middle, and it's yeah. also got like everyone's face in the in their little rectangles, but not
0: their names, just their right. faces.
1: Yeah. Um. But also playing, uh, oh, actually, I noticed there was some good, uh, I always like the uh, live on stage. Gemini was playing. All right. Um, But I want to turn our attention to um, a live stage production of Same Time Next Year starring Hope Lang and Don Murray. Maybe we've talked about this already. That sounds familiar to me. Um. But that was happening.
0: That production? No.
1: Oh, I thought we meant. Hope I thought. Least, I thought we talked about Don Murray being in something. Maybe even when we were talking about Conquest. Maybe. Maybe. maybe we, I don't think we were looking at newspapers back on that first episode, no. so maybe we didn't. But Don yeah. Murray. I don't even think it was Broadway. Oh yes, it was the Brooks Atkinson Theater.
0: Wow, because that really does seem like a dinner theater. Production. I know, right? But that, but that play would have been recent, so yeah. They were in their fourth string at that point. Yeah. yeah.
1: But anyway, back to movies.
0: Uh, young Lady Chatterley. We got that at the uh, Georgetown and the Kings. Now, that's a single X-rated film. That's a softcore movie.
1: Oh. That's, I need With to
0: Harley f- McBride starring uh, That's uh, Richard Bells' wife for a very long time now.
1: Yeah, I meant to look at this a roller coaster ad to figure out which theaters were actually running sense around. Oh but yeah, I don't see that they're marked that way. I wonder if they were claiming that every theater was playing. Sense they probably around. claimed
0: they all had sense around. Yeah.
1: So that sense around wasn't necessarily putting in extra speakers or anything. It was just I don't know what. I guess I don't know Might what sense nothing. around really really uh, was made up of. I think it was just... I
0: think they just boosted the bass in the soundtrack or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I, let me... The Young Lady Chatterley yeah. and the single X movies, because there's not a ton of them, especially at this point. Um, and then Lady Chatterley's Lover in, like, 82 came out as a single X. Can you imagine, like, you're a guy wanting to go to a porno movie, and you get there, it's rated X, and it's this fucking bullshit softcore movie. <laughs> I'd have been infuriated.
1: Which one I have was... I've demanded um, my
0: masturbation investment back. Wasn't... Wh- why do I think of Richard Belzer when I th- hear that? He's Harley McBride, okay. who is in both Young Lady Chattelies, uh, has been married to him for, like, 40 years. Awesome.
1: Um, we Loved Each Other So Much with Vittorio Gassman. And I don't know it. Directed by Ettore Scola. Um... Was playing somewhere. Oh, at the Beekman Theater. Um, I think the Beekman might have been where I saw Boardwalk with the cast and crew. Oh. So here's an exploitation double bill that you would probably mention, but I'm proud to tell you it showed up in the Times, too. Uh, the Van.
0: Oh, yeah. Playing yeah. with Pickup. I don't know Pickup. Pickup Pick is good. It's uh, First of all, the Van is amazing because... It has the most obnoxious hero in teen sex comedies, and uh, Dugan, who is the bad guy in Malibu Beach and the Van, this weird like interconnected yeah. universe of Crown International Pictures. And Pickup is a, an earlier movie; it's kind of arty, huh. and there's a really good Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, okay, I recommend that. And they were playing. Uh, where were they playing? They the were King's playing Plaza. at the Kings Plaza and the, and the Kingsway. Way, yeah. Yeah, and the harbor, which I don't remember.
1: It's amazing that in the summer of Star Wars, that double bill was playing at Kings Plaza and the King's
0: Way. Yeah, now Kings Plaza, like as we've learned, like that was the place to go for your horny movies.
1: Oh, I didn't they, realize they had
0: that. all. Oh yeah, yeah. At some point, we went through it. I was like, who was booking Kings Plaza? <laughs> <laughs> active. Met that fella.
1: See, I, that's where I saw Two Minute Warning. So that's where I went
0: from my depressing. <laughs> but it's also where uh, uh, Roller Coaster was playing. Okay, cool. So that's this was, if Roller Coaster was sold out, you could just hop on over.
1: Here's a movie I remember the title of, but don't know what it is. It was the best foreign film of the year, Academy Award winner. Black and white in
0: color. I remember the ad, don't know anything about it. Remember people talking about it? That was like something like your parents, friends would go to see and talk about, but yeah. I don't remember
1: it. Here's a movie that came up in conversation on my sort of sophisticated, serious podcast, Cinema Talk. Uh, Man on the Roof, a film by Bo Wiederberg. I don't know it. I don't either, but uh, Jim Healy said he recently caught up to it, and it was excellent. Uh, we were talking to this guy who worked uh, at Cinema 5, which was a distribution company that also owned a bunch of theaters Um, and they were actually i'm seeing there's an ad please clip and save this ad a cinema five festival at the art movie theater so cinema five they were having a festival of a bunch of movies they released these are some movies they released that were showing all all in a row from june 10th through june 15th Harlan county usa providence swept away scenes from a marriage seven beauties Pumping Iron and Monty Damn. Python and the Holy Grail.
0: Man, not a ship in the bunch there, man. Right.
1: Um, it's Alive was playing at a showcase theater near you.
0: What, what was the? What year did It's Alive originally come out? I think it was seventy six and got a big re-release in seventy seven. I think. I thought it was older than
1: that, or maybe it was that it didn't that it was took a couple years to even come out the first time once they made it. Like they didn't re- I don't know, oh. but we're
0: doing a show on yes, that. Yes we are. So okay. We'll, we'll, find we'll talk down. all
1: about it then. But that was at the Seventy
0: four it's a lot. Yeah, see?
1: So it's amazing yeah, right. to me that yeah. in seventy seven it's got a big ad and it's well, that movie just kept getting re released, huh?
0: I mean it's funny because I feel like seventy seven is uh when I first knew about it and people made jokes about it and there's only when I, I my cousins were named Davis and they had my cousin Missy was was young and it was there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. Right. Right. Just watching that cream magazine documentary uh, recently. It was 77. Lester Baggs used that as a caption. Well, it was about, playing uh, in Liv Tyler it was
1: playing in Brooklyn. In one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine theaters.
0: Maybe it never came out till then. It must have, I don't know. We'll we'll learn this.
1: Yeah. That's that's just in Brooklyn alone. It's Alive. Again, Star Wars is at full steam. Roller Coaster is coming out. But It's Alive is covering nine freaking movie theaters in Brooklyn.
0: The way things ought to be. Yes.
1: Um, Network was still playing at the Gramercy. Wow. Here's a movie I don't know. This is an
0: X. Hard Soap. Hard Soap. (laughs) Okay. It's called Hard Soap, Hard Soap. That's the full title. It doesn't show that in the ad. No, it probably doesn't say it, but that is the full title. It's a parody of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Oh, wow. And Aaron Lee has a hilarious story where his father went to see Hard Soap, Hard Soap, and told him about it the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Said it was really funny. Also on Blu-ray from uh, Vinegar Central. Oh,
1: nice. All right. I got to check that out. Uh, The Violation of Claudia.
0: Okay, that's a film I have seen with the great Sharon Mitchell. Yes, and it turns out she was like underage; she was like seventeen in that. It's pretty funny because she plays um, she plays like this bored housewife who falls in love with her tennis instructor, and you know, I believed it when I saw it because I was probably under seventeen myself at the time. So,
1: I think it's kind of a shame that I don't think Star Wars ever played Radio City Music Hall. Uh, at the Radio City Music Hall on June 10th. I think it's a shame that's Star Wars and in, in, in the sense. Yeah, okay. so that's, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking the Bandit was at Radio City and on the group. Yeah,
0: with the-, the live show Girls, Girls, Girls.
1: Girls, Girls, Girls. <laughs> um, Led Zeppelin's song remains the same. You have, You really haven't seen Led Zeppelin until you've seen them on the screen in concert and beyond. At the Pussycat Cinema was the world premiere of Reflections.
0: With a Net Haven. I've seen that. Well, that's a good one, too. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Net Haven is a class act.
1: We got a full-page ad for a movie that uh, got pulled out of theaters so Star Wars could shove its way in. The Other Side of
0: Midnight. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a shame. That was really done dirt by Star Wars.
1: And next to that, an ad for the... Everybody's talking about the biggest hit in America. You know what that is? No. Annie Hall.
0: All right. That would have been prime Annie Hall time. Yes,
1: underneath Annie Hall. Let me see. So Annie Hall, the biggest hit in America, is playing at exactly three Brooklyn theaters. So five theaters less than It's Alive. (laughs) And <laughs> which theaters were they? Good question. Kingsway One, okay, the Brook, which I think is an underrated I love gem that of a the theater. Love yeah. that theater. And the Alpine Twin, which
0: was wow. near you, right? In Bay Ridge. Yeah. Later, yeah. it was seven by the time I got there. I think it's still open. Really? And the Alpine? Yeah, wow. yeah. And the Alpine, many years later, showed uh, well, probably not post-COVID, but they showed a Serbian film. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that played the one place it played in New York was the fucking Alpine. So... And this wacky uh, goth chick I know went to go see it there. Oh, she did? And, and they were saying to her, like, they were like, you want to watch this and stuff? Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I don't know why. With some reason that reminds me of maybe 10 years ago, my friend Steve Tiske and I drove to Chicago because he really wanted to see Donovan, who was playing at the is it the Park West is that the name of a sort yeah. of a fancy yeah. club? Yeah, and we got there. I don't know why Steve thought that there would be tickets available. I, I think we got there at the wrong time, we got there just as the show was ending. But somehow we bumped into Donovan himself. Wow, yeah, and he was he was sort of in this dress. I don't know how we got there. I don't don't know how it was. All I know is we found ourselves in a room with Donovan, who was apologizing to the two of us for us missing the show. But saying, you know, come see me next time. And then took off. He, he was wearing like a sort of a sparkly shirt. And he took it off because he was like, sweat, sweating through it and was yeah. changing in front of us. It was a very weird scene. <laughs> wow. And why that? Why your story reminded me of that, I'll never know. But I had to get it out there. Um, so go on. But that brings me to the ad for Airport 77, which explains the plot to us. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. 6.04 p.m., Flight 23 crashes in the Bermuda Triangle. 6.09 p.m., passengers still alive, tra- Underwater, so that's what it is. They're at the bottom. They crash in the Bermuda Triangle.
0: That was the Bermuda Triangle. They're yes. underwater the whole time. The seventy-five was a collision. Oh, I okay, yeah. Right, seventy-nine. I, rem- I don't remember. Seventy-five.
1: I remember there being a hole in the cockpit. Like yeah. right, we're
0: from where. This I think that th- was yeah. a collision with a small plane. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: Seventy-seven starred Jack Lemmon, Lee Grant, Brenda Vicar, Joseph Cotton, Olivia de Havilland. Darren McGavin, Christopher Lee. I can't remember who Christopher Lee would have wow. been in that movie. Uh, George Kennedy, of course, and James Stewart.
0: Damn. That's the A-plus team. Yeah.
1: Rocky was playing all over the place. Right. Uh, again, not as many theaters as it's alive, but it was there. Um, okay, what's this one? This must be a Daily News pick, too. Journey into the beyond with John. Carradine. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's so, okay. Yeah. Lay it on. So me. So that's playing on a double bill yeah. with, uh, the last days of man on earth. Yes. So, so it was the final program, uh, which is a wild movie. I've only ever heard of it as, as the final program with John Finch. I re- I remember it being advertised all the time. It's the last days of man on oh, earth. Okay. Um, and I remember it as a kid being a part of a double feature and it must have been this one, but maybe not. Um, so Journey to Beyond is one of those like supernatural, like documentaries, like, you know, like Beyond and Back, the Sun Classic kind of thing. But it's rated R, which makes you really want to see yeah. it. And it's hosted by John Carradine. And the first 100 patrons at the first shows on Saturday get a free Skull of the Occult poster. Skull of the Occult so, poster. Skull of the Occult, yeah. And I see that was at the Avalon, the Duffields, the Oriental, the Ridgewood, and the Seaview.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, wa- walk me through this one more time. I know we've had conversations yes. similar to this, but I get them confused in my mind all the time. Tell me the difference between the Avalon and the Brook, because I get those two confused.
0: Okay. Avalon was near King's Highway. The Brook was on Flatbush and Flatlands. Wait, oh,
1: I think the, the Avalon was actually on King's Highway.
0: It was if it wasn't on it, it was right off. I of it. think it was on it because I think the Avalon think was is where I it. saw breaking
1: away, and that was on Kings Highway. And the Brook was the one right off Flappish Avenue by Lenny and Johns.
0: Okay, got it exactly. Okay. Yes, and the Brook had a giant marquee, and it had lights that would go on one at a time, and like sort of like it's showtime. Yeah, yeah. And it had it super classy, like it had couches in mm-hmm.
1: the yeah.
0: entrance area and the lounge, and, the, and it had a little window where you could peek in at the movie for a minute while you're waiting to see the next show All right so also playing
1: at the Sutton the comedy romance of the year which was and it was a 70s American graffiti it was described as by Newsweek loose funky <laughs> and engaging uh, says Time Magazine uh, between the lines which I saw oh, yes. last year you hate not, 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 you hated yeah.
0: it. <laughs> I liked it
1: oof oofa la loofa yeah. Krea, uh, a Larry Gordon presentation directed by Carlos Sara. Sora. I don't know. Don't forget. know it. Art film, a uh, foreign film, fancy film playing at the Plaza in the Paramount. Uh, how about the porn brokers at the Circus Cinema?
0: Yeah, I don't know that one. I know the circus. I went to that theater. You did? Oh, yeah. that was That was a scary place. <laughs> Oh, I should say, you know, the violation of Claudia was at uh, the World 49th Street, which was a famous porno theater. That's where Deep Throat, uh, I don't know if it it premiered in New York, but it ran there forever. And uh, when it was ruled temporarily obscene by a judge in New York, they changed the marquee to read Judge Cuts Throat. You couldn't go there. And I, I went there and they had amazing wallpaper. You have to go up these stairs, and it was like silver lame wallpaper, and it just had the logo. That just said, it's a sweetheart theater. It's a sweetheart theater. I was like, i kind got to come back with a knife and slice <laughs> off a piece of that.
1: Uh-huh. Um, Jabberwocky was playing in Cinema One. A oh, movie never that saw I, that.
0: I, you never saw that? No. I was dying to it when I was a kid, and I never got to see it. And you still haven't? No. No. Oh. I haven't corrected that since then. No. I did see it. I might have
1: seen that at summer camp. I I know I saw it, but I can't tell you anything about it. Although that's another film that came up in conversation on Cinema Talk this week because that was another Cinema 5 release. And the guy who was running Cinema 5 uh, behind Terry Gilliam's back when he was advertising it, advertised it as Monty Python's Jabberwocky. And and Terry Gilliam found out and flipped out and made him stop doing that. Wow. Uh, Fellini's Casanova was playing a film I've never seen. Uh, no, me neither.
0: Coming out on uh, Blu-ray from Kino Lorber soon. Is it the first time ever on Blu-ray? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Uh, Black Sunday. Uh, oh, yes. That is a movie I never saw in the theater. I've only ever seen on TV, but I really, I need to correct that. Yeah. I need to see that in a the theater somehow.
0: Yeah. Make it happen.
1: That was playing at the Albemarle, the Alpine and the Georgetown. All right. Uh Star Wars has a, a tiny little ad. I also you know, they reviewed Roller Coaster in the Saturday New York Times and in that yeah. edition of the New York Times there's a there's a fancy Star Wars ad that's that like points out the the, the show times at each of its theater, just so you know yeah. exactly when you can see it. But that's not it's a pretty small ad in um in the Times on Friday, that features only one pull quote. It's from the guy in Long Island Newsday, uh, huh. and who
0: cares what he had to say? I'm not going to bore yeah. you with that. <laughs> yeah, please. So, um, so uh, Black Sunday was at the Georgetown, and that was in one theater, and Young Lady Chatterley was in the other theater. Wow, we wow, we.
1: Let's see what was playing. At the, uh, well, sometimes they don't list the college. The college only seemed to get, li- oh, no, here it is. The college had Rocky that day, that right. week. Yeah. Okay, but that's it for Solid me from your time. You got any other exploitation stuff? I have
0: um, just two. Uh, a double feature of Day of the Animals and Grizzly. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that double. Sure. Day and, of the uh, Animals. Both, oh, my God, you? that always seemed to be playing. William Girdler film. Yeah, I put that on my Amazon queue last night, and Rachel was like, you wouldn't, we're not watching that right now, right? I was like, no, don't worry about it. That was at the Oriental. And then Gums, which is a hideous fucking movie. It's a parody of Jaws. It's a porno parody of Jaws. Oh, my. That was a, a, had a fairly substantial life as a midnight movie at the Elgin, where midnight movies were invented. I can't tell if this is an R-rated cut of it or not, but it, it must have been because it was playing at the Cinerama and the 86th Street Twin and a bunch of other places. But banned in Brooklyn, not there were no Brooklyn theaters on that one. Uh,
1: there were none that's left a joke after I stole alive, from man.
0: It's a joke I stole from uh, Rick Sullivan of the Gazette, who would when there was occasionally there'd be movies that would play in the outer boroughs but not Manhattan, and he'd be like, "Wow, another film banned in Manhattan." so god bless him so gums was banned gums has brother theodore in it Ooh. and it it's it's so goddamn hideous and it ends with they just become puppets it's like they ran out of film or something and everybody just turns into puppets oh my god and then it's and and what it is is there's a mermaid that's giving guys blowjobs instead of a shark wow so now you know gums gums
1: and uh was that it. was it for your, your two we, things. Here's something interesting. That's it. yeah There was a maybe this can be our bonus on Patreon. By the way, we're on Patreon sure. everybody
0: if you want to. Oh yeah, Patreon. Out. We got to <laughs> push that out next week <laughs> big time. Um
1: but uh here's something. Here for some reason New York Times decided to take a look and they said they did this only every once in a while at the top 10 pop singles of the week and and talked about what that what what those singles seem to mean for the okay, state of music this is good yeah this is great this is great and this is written by john rockwell who must have been the biggest stuck-up asshole of all time but yeah um although maybe he had some competition at the times so let's see out of these top 10 pop singles for that week how many of these we even know and what we think right. about them All right, man. Well, it was really uh, right. great this to get fantastic. back in the saddle with you. We, we, we've we been talking for an epic two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> How great <laughs> is it to not have a fucking guest? <laughs> oh, it's
0: the best. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we'll going guestless in a little while for a while.
1: Well, we're I about think... to have a whole string of guests, but I think I they're going to be fun. I can't wait to talk yeah. to Scooter McCray No, we've not about... had
0: bad guests at all, but it's oh, like, it's yeah. just like. I don't know about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know Crackpot, we have a bunch of guests too, but we've been just like itching to just. Like we want to do five Alan Alda movies and it's like we can't have a guest on for that. So you No,
1: know, doing being having guests is great, but it's it's definitely different.
0: And yeah. um no, we we need to do more of these because this is just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so, you, my friend. And have a thank
1: wonderful you. uh weekend and uh You too. Talk to you
0: soon. We'll do. Yeah, fuck, thank you. shut it off. off.